So for the purposes of tonight, I am going to be playing the parts not only of Rob, uh, <clears throat> but Jack. So to, to, to make things to make things a little bit more simple, right. I'm going to be referred to as Rack. I was gonna go with job. It's better than it's better than job. It's it's better yeah. Jab. Jab. That's what it'd be. Job or jab. I prefer jab. Okay, jab it shall be. Oh. No. 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 How about jab rack? It was just a bit. <laughs> yeah, what? Jab rack. Combine the two. Jab rack. Or job rack. That's, uh, job rack. This name. That sounds like um like an orc's name. It does a little bit, doesn't it? Jab rack. I went to a recruitment agency, but that's because they're just contacting me every day. What? Job rack. Like tie rack. You get oh, ties at a tie yeah. rack. You get jobs at a job rack. I've never heard that expression. Huh. I, I don't think that is an expression. He's just oh, made no, it. it should be. It should be. It really should. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, making me laugh, but I don't think it's quite bumper material. Endorsement from Rack. Oh God, what do you want? What I mean? Oh, I'm at a loose end. That doesn't that doesn't work. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wait. I did a pause because I'm like, that's where, that's where Jack says something, oh, no. and I just oh, no. just go, yeah. But We've he's lost in Japan. And our rhythm is completely off. He is in off. Japan. He's in Japan actually being chased by zombies, which, <laughs> let's face it, we all knew would happen one day. <laughs> Should we start the show? Ah, oh. Let's. Okay. And welcome to World One Stage One. I'm Simon, and joining me as ever is Jack. Oh, um, oh, what would he say? Eh, hello, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> Hi, and Irish. <laughs> what the fuck? And for the purposes of this performance, the role of Jack is being played by Rob. <laughs> Rob has two roles today, and he's failing both of them. My name's Jack. I'm trying to get his voice. That's <laughs> it's close, it's right? not working. That's close, though. <laughs> what do you guys hear? I, not that. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so, yes, our erstwhile colleague is in Japan, being terrified by mystery toilets and... Soup with teeth. Leaving us... And men. Leaving us alone and, and drifting feebly through a world of pop culture. Luckily, there are all sorts of bits and pieces to talk about tonight. And I'm not going to bury That's the lead. That's so true. 
I'm going to start with the big news of the day. Uh, the fact that a new Star Trek TV series has been announced for 2017. <laughs> oh, no, you are breaking Hell up. I think yes. my internet's fucked up. Uh, can you hear me, guys? You, we can hear you fine. Ah, uh, you are robots. You went evil. You went evil when you started talking about Star Trek 2017. It was almost like it was like, I don't know, it was like a warning. But I, I think it's really exciting. Yeah, you, you slightly turned into robots, but we shall press on. Uh, and turning evil, talking about Star Trek 2017, really, I mean, that applies, because as we know, Jack has taken on the role of the doomsayer for Star Wars. I shall be Indeed. taking it upon myself to be the doomsayer for Star Trek. Because <laughs> Star well, Trek is a franchise a I love. You're right, we don't know a lot. But what we do know is that it's going to be executive mm -hmm. produced by Alex Kurtzman. Now, he wrote the Abrams reboot. And he oh. co-wrote Into Darkness. He also worked as oh. a writer on The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh. Uh, Transformers. Skip better and better. Uh, Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, God! Yeah, this is the man they've put in charge of exec producing the new Star Trek TV show. Who, as far as I can tell, relies entirely on special effects budgets. Ah, shit. Yeah. Oh my god. So, um, it's also <laughs> it being made uh, for CBS All Access, which is their app. Not their TV station, notably. So what? this is a straight-to-the-net, Alex Gertzman-headed Star Trek reboot. Are we excited? It's not on a network. Uh, CBS are putting it straight onto their app. It's like their equivalent of a Netflix uh, but I original. Meant, like, it won't be hitting network TV, is what I mean. It'll be like demand stuff. Yeah, it's like a Netflix original, except imagine if Netflix was something no one watched. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't even know how I'd go about doing that. By being CBS and making terrible decisions. <laughs> yes, make a terrible decision and then watch Star Trek 2017. Yep. No! Okay, let's make this positive, though. Right. Okay. Um, wow me, Rob. Wow me. Well, because I heard this news quite recently, like it was just before I set out, and I started thinking to myself, like... Because it says it's not going to be connected to anything. It's like it's its own thing, right? It's yep, not connected to movies and everything. Yep. So I thought to myself, what would I do if it, if it was thrust upon me to decide what to do with a Star Trek series? And I thought to myself, no, Rob, don't, because you don't know enough about Star Trek. <laughs> Ask <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. So, Simon, yes. given that you're, I would say, argue, no, probably, in fact, definitely the biggest Star Trek fan in the group, what would you do? Um, oh, before I get on to what I would do personally, because uh, I'm, I've got so many different conflicting ideas on that, I bounce around them. Uh, there was a rumour going around yeah. earlier this year and if that's the direction they're going with it, I'm actually 
potentially quite happy. Uh, and that okay. was it. For one thing, it attached Brian Singer to the reboot. Oh. Which, you know, he's he's not 100% hit, but he's had his good ideas. Yes. Uh, and the idea was to take Star Trek years into the future. Uh, okay. Quite a long way into the future, to the point that the, the sort of established dynamics as we've known them for the past 50 years have broken down. Uh, the Federation is in decline and oh, are now the okay. underdogs and sort of explore that period of the Federation, the sort of um, the fall of Rome era of the Federation, as it were, which could be really interesting. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow, it would be a would be really incredible. brave decision, but I would I would watch that sort of regardless of who was in, attached, just to see how it turned out. But I think that's what is crucial about, especially about television these days. You've got to be brave, like, yeah. um, and at least you know that that would be contributing something. That would be creating something new. It would be um, its own thing, but it could still refer back to all of the mythology from before. Um, yep, and it, it just at this leaves- point, like. Sorry, go on. I was I was just going to say at this point you could have like Kirk and Picard almost like these legendary um mm. uh so like it's... figures of history that like the people like Rome for instance look back at their emperors like Julius Caesar or not they have oh my goodness me it'd be incredible. Yeah. And and it leaves importantly everything that exists about Trek sort of untouched. So there's no, there's none of that effect yeah. of the reboot sullying the thing you love. That's all so far removed. It's like the difference between Star Wars and Star Wars: The Old Republic. They're the same universe, but so yes. independent that nothing done in one really affects your opinion of the other. No, it's such a such a time gap. Anything could happen. So it, it would be really interesting to see. You know, humans fighting for political relevance in a world dominated by whoever, you know, whatever direction they decide to take that. Which we know works because Mass Effect. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of where I go with it. In my head. <laughs> Except instead of humans being sort of brand new on the stage, it's like, we mattered once. We were contenders. Damn it. Listen to us. We're still here. Yes. Which adds a sort of interesting bitterness to the whole thing. Oh Which is probably me. why it won't happen, because Star Trek has historically been very optimistic on television. Mm. But I suppose the optimism would come from, uh, obviously, there would be the bitter element, but there would also be the, uh, the idea of... Uh, perseverance that even though going through difficult times you know it's uh eventually triumphs if we learn to work together and make ethical uh right just like star trek always tries to promote most yes. of the time yeah it would be the down but not out never give up kind of philosophy absolutely yeah make that be interesting to see I, I think we've said enough about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Because <laughs> we don't know anything about it. Next. We just know it's coming. It's, um, it is pretty 
information. It is a bit of information. Mm. Yes, just enough to start us thinking. And I'm really hoping this line clears up. Is it just me? Or no, is it, it is both of Irish you. I, well. Like I said, my connection has been playing up. I think uh, it might be on the verge of dying. I'm yeah. almost thinking it would be worth rebooting, doing a little edit and restarting the router and coming back to see if we come through any clearer. If you think okay, that's, man. The best, if that's the best choice. You think that'll work? I think at the moment what we're getting is more or less unlistenable, so... Uh, <laughs> It might be the best idea. Yeah, probably the best, best to do it now rather than later, yes. Yeah. Hello and welcome back to World 1 Stage 1. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> I'm Simon and joining me, hopefully, are Irish. Yes. And Rack. Hi! <laughs> it still doesn't work. <laughs> the mysterious <laughs> Rob-Jack hybrid. It's weird. It's weird. I'm working on it. Right. At this point, you may or may not, depending on how the recording came out, have heard us talking a little bit about the new Star Trek TV series that was announced on the day of recording. Uh, brief pricey in case it doesn't survive. I'm really nervous about it not being good. Uh, there we go. Yes, I too. <laughs> we, 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 it's going to be on demand, CBS weird kind of um like not on a network so not fully available uh just commercially so does that mean they have no faith in it it sounds a little bit like that or they either have a lot of faith in it so they're trying to use it to make their streaming service work oh yeah or they have no faith in it and they're just dumping it somewhere where they can be embarrassed of it in fairness, a lot of people will probably get it just to see because, you know, big fans of Star Trek out yeah, there. Yeah, I, I reckon that's the, the case here. I reckon they're trying to make CBS All Action, uh, All Action, All Access financially successful. <laughs> yeah. And they know that this is a really good way to sell subscriptions. It could be a flagship show. Yeah, it could. Pardon the pun. But we, we were talking <laughs> about how Skype is acting really spooky. Skype is so spooky. <laughs> and it's Halloween. It is. Well, and it has been densely foggy outside in that mm-hmm. scary, silent hill way. It is. So maybe now would be a good time to raise the question that Kirby asked us on Twitter today. Do we have read listener mail, not reader mail? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a listener tweet. Oh, sweet. Are we excited for Alison Road? Now, this is a question I feel would have worked a lot better if Jack were here. Yeah, because I don't know what that is. Irish? No. I didn't know what it was. Doesn't, doesn't ring a bell. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have looked it up, though, and I do know what it is. Okay. What? Um, and like I said, I, I wish Jack were here. Explain to us. Maybe we, explain to us. Maybe we will know. Allison Road is the Team 17 published, kicks, originally kickstarted, but now Team 17 published, spiritual successor to P.T., the supposed Silent Hills oh. demo on the PlayStation. Oh. No, I didn't know about that. That's Hang on. awesome. Team 17 of Worms fame. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, the story as I understand it, and I have to... First of all, my answer to the question is no, not in the slightest. Uh, I never particularly <laughs> liked Silent Hill, so I never played PT, 
So there's that was good. there's was no actually- way for me to get interested in Alison Road. Hmm. Um, well, from playing PT, uh, I found it really effective. Like, um, I I do enjoy. Like, I'm not obviously as up on uh, really Silent Hill as Jack, um, but in terms of just an experience, it was it was done really well. Like, yeah, I've heard it was really high quality. Yeah, it was top notch. Now, obviously, that's only a small chunk. Obviously, it's a playable trailer. It's what but, the, um, the it's what developers might call a vertical slice. Yeah. Wait, explain. A vertical <laughs> slice is a proof of concept of a game where you finish a small part of the game, but completely. So you get the game engine all working, you get all the AI working, you get all the graphics working, all the music working, but you do like a level. Right. So you prove that it all comes together and the the concept is sound. Huh. So where you might it's sort fun. of prototype a graphics engine individually and you might prototype... Uh, some level design tools individually, and you might do some concept art. Those are all uh, sort of horizontal slices. They're bits of things that, when combined, can make a game. But a vertical slice is where you combine all of your prototypes into one sort of fully polished, finished thing that is only a little bit of the game. Oh, wow. But that makes an awful lot of sense. And I think that's what we were seeing with PT, was Mm. they were like, look, proof of concept, it all works. And people like it. I, I I felt like there's a particular bit um, that remind me a lot of the uh, David Lynch film, his first film, A Razorhead. Mm. And I really liked that. That Basically, sounds interesting because I do like A Razorhead. Ah, yeah. See, I love A Razorhead. It is, oh my God, it's it's mental. Um, but there, you know, for those who do know Razorhead, Razorhead, sorry, there, and those who don't, sorry, I mean, uh, there's this horrendous sort of child creature that, um, is his offspring, I think, but a very similar, horrendously mutated looking infant features. PT. That's very similar to the Razorhead child. Um, Uh, that really disturbed me because it disturbed me in a razor head too, because a <laughs> razor head is fucking disturbing. It is. <laughs> um, watch it if you haven't, but um, yeah, that's really cool. Um, Basically, uh, as far as I can tell, what happened was after it was pulled, uh, this team called Lilith limited hmm. decided they wanted to make a game inspired by PT because silent Hills wasn't happening. Um, and they were on Kickstarter trying to raise quarter of a million pounds. And they'd got to about... It's just, it's just, it's just pocket money, then, you know. In terms of game development, yeah, that is actually Absolutely. a tiny budget. Yeah. And they'd raised about 140-something thousand, if I remember rightly, when um, Team 17 basically got in touch and said, look, we're not going to donate to a Kickstarter, but if, if you want to make the game, we're a publisher. Do you want to just let us make the game with you? Oh, yeah, okay, Kickstarter over, we've got funding, don't worry. And now they're <laughs> making the game for Team 17. Oh my god, and what what a bold step of Team 17. That is essentially jumping headfirst into this new um, marketplace, really. That's really clever. Yeah, just looking, oh, here's a talented developer, and people clearly like what they're doing, and they're looking for backing. All of our research and uh, funding and crowdsourcing and 
advertising almost has just been done for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a pre-built audience. Let's <laughs> just do this. Let's just do that. And Team 17 just walk in and go, yeah, sure. What what have you been up to, Team 17? Ah, oh, worms. Anything else? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I laugh it. because that's basically true. Um, yes. <laughs> what have they done in recent years that wasn't worms? I'm sure they must have done things. But, they I mean, have. they are known for worms. They must have. I, I mean, and that's not a criticism. I mean, I will always love Team 17 for bringing us worms. Like, Oh, yeah, and I mean, context, a long time ago, they were making, like, Alien Breed. And, uh, yeah, they, they had a big catalogue of games back in the days of, like, the Amiga and yeah, early PC gaming. But it has mostly been worms, as far as I can tell, for the last few years. Like, that was their big, that was their big hit. That's what sent them skyward. Yeah. Oh, I think that's fair to say. And deservedly so. Like, what a game. Um, uh, games, even. But uh, What a franchise. An entire franchise. So, there you go, topic. Kirby. That's what we think. <laughs> worms. <laughs> so, yes, we think Worms was topic. good. Check back our old episode. That's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did an episode on Worms. Worms. We were also asked the question, is Space Harrier a game about a flying man with a gun or a man with a flying gun? What the fuck? <laughs> I, I take it from that question, Rob, that you've never played Space Harrier. <laughs> no, it's Space Harrier. It's, it's a guy with a flying gun, isn't it? Uh, well, the guy flies as well. That's true. It's a flying guy with a gun, but is he flying because <laughs> of the gun? Can you imagine trying to fire a gun when you're also trying to hold on to it? <laughs> As it flies into the air. Yes, I can, because I've played the Space Harrier. The last thing that I want on my handhold, which is preventing me from plummeting <laughs> to a grisly demise, is fucking recoil. <laughs> That's in amazing. Fairness, the recoil is going to have less effect in the air than it would on the ground, because on the ground, your feet are met with friction. That's true, um, yes. And therefore you can fall backwards if the recoil is high enough, whereas if you're airborne, then you've only got air resistance, and that's applying equally on all surfaces. Therefore, it'll just push you back. It won't change Holy your orientation shit. in any way. <laughs> that is so cool. So if I'm going like, to suffer from recoil, I'd quite like to be flying at the time. <laughs> I've, just, I've just been shown a picture of a Space Harrier, and he appears to be flying through the air, shooting a dragon in the neck. That is Space yeah. Harrier. That is That's the whole of Space oh Harrier. <laughs> I've never seen this before. I feel ashamed. Wow. I feel, is this quite famous then? Yeah, yeah, pretty well known. It was a big oh, arcade wow. game and Mega Drive game. Oh, and I thought myself a Mega Drive connoisseur. Yeah. There's a Cyclops Mammoth. <laughs> I am sold. I need Wait, to no, it was earlier than Mega Drive, wasn't it? It was a Master yeah. System game. Yeah, it's Master System. Oh, game, yeah. Master System. On the Game Gear as well. Yeah. The Game Gear. Although they did do a Mega Drive version. I think it was yeah, on yeah. like every early Sega console, wasn't it? Mm. It was it was one of their big games, wasn't it? So Yeah. It was in the Sonic state in the Sonic stable of Sega games. It was that Sonic and probably Gems was on everything as well. Columns. Columns, that was it, not Gems. Yeah. And there was a uh, Fantasy Zone. Yeah. So yeah, Alex, pretty well known. Alex the Kid. But that covers our uh, listener mail. <laughs> but speaking, <laughs> speaking of gems, ah oh, yes, this is a segue. Okay, oh, you are taking uh, on the role of Jack. 
I am trying. Speaking of gems. No, no, no. Speaking of gems. We we are speaking of gems, yes. Please do carry on. Gem and the Holograms came out. Oh, yeah, it did. And it was fucking awful. (laughs) I've I've not really heard anything about it. I just heard, like, on a, a podcast I was listening to, like, oh, it didn't really get... It didn't really pick up. Not that I really knew what Jim and the Holograms were until you told me on this podcast, so... I've heard it's truly outrageous. <laughs> truly, truly outrageous. In in the wrong way, really. <laughs> outrageous in outraged people stamping out of the cinema. The, the story, <laughs> as, as I've heard it, and this is you know just hearsay, it's, uh, I can't prove it, I can't cite sources, this is just what I've heard, mm. is that the studio had a sort of teen girl band script land right. on their slush pile. And they looked at it, and it coincided with the gem and the holograms IP being available, mm-hmm. and it coincided with IDW releasing a, a, a sort of reboot in comic form that is very, very good. Go and read the holograms, the gem and the holograms comics. Yeah, they are actually really good. So, with that renewed interest in the comics, the IP being available, and this film that was sort of tangential to the subject matter. They just kind of shoehorned in some names and some references and called it a gem movie when it's really not. See, the, that that process has always fascinated me because you basically just have a skeleton of a script, which is, you know, plot, narrative, um, hooks. And then, obviously, this whole um, epidemic of just get IPs out there, recognisable IPs that will yes. like draw some crowd. And it, it makes sense to me that they're looking at this movie, which is about this teen girl who is like a internet sensation. You know, she goes viral and that's how she becomes famous. And yeah, um, and they were looking at it on its own and saying, eh, this is very millennial, this is very now, but I don't think it stands up on its own. No. However, if we attach the gem name to it, then I think this is going to, make its money back Mm. and with any luck it won't (laughs) but then again such techniques have borne you know uh supple fruits you know we look at um beyond thunderdome (laughs) (laughs) yes well known as the best of the mad max movies (laughs) <laughs> it is definitely the best of the Mad Max movies. Well, it, it, it is, is definitely... There, you can attach a superlative to it when but comparing it, it to one, the other Mad it? Max films. Yeah, but that was one, wasn't it? I'm not wrong yes. now. Oh, no, no, that is... Well, that is the possibly apocryphal story is that it was a post-apocalyptic script that oh, okay. they attached the Mad Max name to. Uh, as, as I said in our Lost Fury Road episode. Yeah, that's what I remembered it from. Uh, yeah, that is that is supposedly true. Again, huh. it's one of these things that there's no definitive sources to it, but it's widely known, I guess, <laughs> even though it's not necessarily true. But um, I, it certainly feels that way anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Lots and lots of IPs. Intellectual property is big business. Mm. Yep. So yeah, German the Hologram is not good. Huh. Hmm. What other intellectual properties have we been affected by or heard of recently? There's a trailer for Preacher. 
Is there? Yes. A movie? A TV show. Oh, sweet. Who's doing it? uh, We shall have to talk about on another episode, as we've clearly not all seen it. (laughs) Oh, that's a pain. Uh, It's... It looks interesting. I'm I'm going to give it a go. It's, well, yeah, uh, you can tell us about the trailer, man. I'll just watch it later. Yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, true. So, uh, oh, God, who is making it? That's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who is actually making this, so I shall quickly look it up. But while, um, while you do that, then, while you look it up, I can say that I'm also really excited because I f- believe official production has now begun on American Gods, which is being done by Stars, um, Neil Gaiman's amazing novel. Um, mm. They're actually, I think they're actually auditioning now. Ooh. Yeah. I have to say, I'm a little bit um, concerned about Stars. They're not the most know. reliable. <laughs> well, like, the thing is, I really liked Spartacus. Did you ever catch Spartacus? Oh, Spartacus was okay, yeah. Sparkers was pretty cool. Now, I wouldn't say it's... See, I'm hesitant to say it, in a way, because of HBO's kind of... Well, I've just said HBO, haven't I? (laughs) Um, HBO, maybe, for American Gods as well, but then I thought, hmm... I'm trying to think what would be the right fit, and when I think of stars, all I think of is Sparkers. I can't think of anything else. All I think of is Torchwood. Oh, they were the were they responsible for the um the fifth season? Yes, I didn't actually ever see that. Don't <laughs> really, really. I didn't. I didn't even bother. You know, I didn't even bother, which is surprising because I watch anything that's in any way attached to Doctor Who. But Torchwood did a number on me. Torchwood yeah. upset me, and it's clever because it's an anagram of Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. So it's AMC are doing um, uh, a preacher. That's excellent. Starring Dominic Cooper. Oh, wait. Dominic Cooper. Yes. Where do I know him from? Uh, possibly all sorts of things. I don't know where you know him from, but he was Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Yes, he yes, was. I've, yes, I've heard that's Yes, <laughs> um, I do know who you mean. Um, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Well, he well, was yeah, in he's... Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He was, he was yeah. Howard Stark he was. in Captain America. Oh, you know what? I knew that guy was going to do well. Because, yeah, I, I remember seeing him. Obviously, he was in... Was, did he show up in Iron Man 2 at first in a flashback? Or, or no, it was uh, it was um, news cuttings, wasn't it? Yeah, and, it, was um, in the first, it was in the first one. Was he in the first one? Yeah, and um, he's in all of Agent Carter as Howard. Yeah, as well. and he shows up in Agent Carter. And what I saw, I thought, this guy is really good. Yes. Like, it, it can't be easy to just be as charming as Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. <laughs> but somehow he managed to do that. But he managed to show sort of like the family kind of, um, you know, they always say, oh, Tony took after his father. Mm. Um and, and if you watch Agent one. Carter, yes, he did. But, yeah, but, <laughs> but also he's got, he's a bit, uh, he's very debonair. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, and, and he's playing Jesse different. Custer, which is a good fit from, from the trailer. It looks like a very good fit. Hmm. Okay. Well, that sounds good. Yeah. I'm kind of hopeful for it from the trailer. Uh, it's It's got me intrigued. I'm going to be watching until it, Makes me not watch. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, the bar's being lifted pretty high. I mean, I'd say that the the highest that superhero TV can go at the moment is with Daredevil, uh, with with Netflix, um, and Jessica Jones is nearly here. Like, yeah, there's, there's trailers. trailers. Oh, that one looks good. Like, I will just say there is another Marvel connection to Preacher as well. Oh, go on. Um, Ruth Nager, who plays Reyna in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., oh, yeah. is going to be playing Tulip. Huh. So that's another great bit of casting. Wow. Oh, they're killing it. They but yeah, so Jessica killing. Jones looks oh so good. I, again, I know there are trailers. I've not seen them yet. See them. I hear there's one with Tenant in. There is. And oh. I... Right. <clears throat> Tenant being in Jessica Jones gives me not pause that it's going to be good. I I think he's going to be phenomenal because this is a really, really awful villain he's playing. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, he's yeah. going to sink his teeth into this role. Yeah, and this- I have this horrible feeling that the fans are going to love him. <laughs> 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 in in that way that uh, if you're familiar with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., there's this huge fandom that sort of dotes on and excuses Grant Ward. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Even yeah. though he is a literal Nazi. He is a Nazi. He is a murderer. And they're just like, I stand with Ward. He's, he's, he's misunderstood. And I have a horrible feeling they're going to do that with the Purple Man. The and you shouldn't, is, because he's a completely unforgivable, irredeemable bastard. That's the point is. of him. He can, he, because yeah. he, if, if I'm, uh, and I'll be honest, like, I don't know, I, I really don't know an awful lot about him. Um, but I, what I do know and what I have seen of the Purple Man is that for those who don't know, his power center around controlling people, don't they? Yes, mind control. And he makes people do things. Yes, it's it's pure violation of their will. Yeah. I mean, uh, my God, uh, he has a daughter through rape because he's controlling the mind of the mother. It's He's not a good person. Fucking hell. He's, yeah. he's just awful. And... Uh, uh, but because he's a very naughty boy. He is a very <laughs> naughty boy. But because Tennant is so charismatic, mm-hmm. and because charisma is such a part of Kilgrave, yeah, I, there's going to be fan... Uh, I'm not going to say fangirls, because it's not a gendered thing, but there's going to be, be that fans. kind of fan. Yeah. yeah, And, and I'm going not- to be so angry at them. It's, it's not like Tennant hasn't got his... Uh, you know, disciples already. Mm. And yeah. it's it's fine to say his performance is amazing. I love his portrayal of Kilgrave. Of course, of course. But if they do the I stand with Ward and taking it over into defending the character thing, then it's going to be, no, fucking get oh, in no, the sea. no, of course not. Get of in the sea. Not. Of course not. But I mean, I mean, I was, and this is a, this is something I will segue to later. Um, but it's my feelings about Anthony Hopkins as um, Hannibal Lecter. Mm. The man is a, a monster. He is horrendous. He has done so many dreadful things. But, but what a performance. You And you root for him, oddly. <laughs> you watch Silence of the Lambs, you're like, yay, he got out. I'd say there's a difference between rooting for him and trying to justify him. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's... That's an important distinction. Mm. 
But yeah, it's um, it's also really interesting to see Carrie Ann Moss uh, in Jessica Jones, uh, and this is Carrie Ann Moss is in it. Oh yeah. <gasps> mm. Yeah, it's it's quite a good cast. Um, no. It's very interesting that Carrie Ann Moss is in it actually, yeah. because she is playing uh, Hogarth, the attorney who sort of hires Jones. Huh. And what's very interesting is that in the comics, Jerin Hogarth is a guy. And in Jessica Jones, the TV show, Jerry Hogarth is Carrie Ann Moss. Huh. But they've left her romance interests the same. So Carrie Ann, is, uh, Carrie Ann Moss is now playing the lesbian attorney Jerry Hogarth. Which is an interesting bit of added diversity to this cast. Oh, well, fucking That's... fair play. Excellent. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of thrilled to see we've got Tennant in as a villain who can give as stirring a performance as Vincent D'Onofrio did in Daredevil. Let's face it. Mm. Carrie Ann Moss there? is here. Rosario Dawson will be resuming her role as Claire Temple that she did in Daredevil. Yes, uh, Jessica nightmares. Jones is here, and Mike Coulter as Luke Cage uh, will be in to set up the the later mini series of Defenders that's going to tie all these shows together. So, oh, so he's actually going to fe- he's going to cameo because he's getting his own, isn't he? Yeah, uh, but uh, Cage and Jones are such interlinked characters that you kind of can't do one without the other. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, again, I don't know an awful lot about it, but it's uh, I'm really really excited about it, nonetheless. I have a feeling that they're kind of going to set up the Luke Cage series in Jessica Jones, treat parts of Jessica Jones as a prequel to Luke Cage. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of story to tell there. I'm really interested to know about, because like the films, obviously the Marvel films have threads that weave in and out, as we well know. Hmm. But I'm interested to, I'm really interested to see that the, when they are, uh, we have a few more of them out. Where that where those threads are going to appear in in the TV shows, for instance, what's going to happen when the Punisher finishes what he's doing in Daredevil? Like, what if the Punisher runs into Iron Fist? You mm. know, there's so many cool opportunities that are going to happen, and it's um, it's very Marvel Knights, but TV. If you get yes, what oh no, absolutely, yeah. And I'm really excited by that because Marvel Knights fucking rocks. <laughs> but it's going to be, oh, it's very interesting that Marvel are doing this kind of darker toned, more grown up storytelling for TV, mm. which is, I think, working really, really well. Yes. Uh, whilst keeping the lighter tone for the movies because they're all ages. You know, you want to get parents taking their kids to see the Marvel Universe on it. Uh, on, at the cinema, but Netflix audiences are going to be, well, let's face it, uh, slightly more grown up people who grew up with the comics. You're not going to get the same audience as you are at a PG 13 movie. Mm. But DC, speaking of trailers and indeed pilot episodes, are almost working in reverse. They're doing this dark and gritty film world, which so far I'm not sold on. But Supergirl is amazing. Have you seen the pilot then? Yep. I this is this really weirded me out because I watched that pilot like I'm not even kidding. 
like three, four months ago. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I thought everyone had seen it already, but it's yeah, really but it's good. It's now isn't it? been properly released. Excellent. So a lot more people are seeing it. Oh, it's good. a good time to talk about it. And yes, it's fantastic. I was really, really quite impressed with it. There are a few things that I was like, okay, but part of that I hope is perfect. Is the fact that it's a pilot. Yeah. Of so course. they're trying to shoehorn in a hell of a lot of stuff all at yes. once to yeah. sell the concept. Yeah. And hopefully they can ease off a little in the series because <laughs> it's yeah. it brings a lot in one episode. It does. It does. What um there were only little things that bugged me about it though. Generally, I really enjoyed it. Like um I think she's excellent. Yes. I think she's wonderful. Um I don't I don't actually remember her name. <laughs> um, <laughs> which uh, uh you know, I always try I always do my best to remember if you um, need, if you mean Supergirl, it, I can never remember the pronunciation, but it's Melissa Benoist. Benoist, yeah, something like that, isn't it? That does. I do recognise that, but um, no, she's perfect. Um, she's got it spot on, really. Uh, she's she really hits that balance of uh, the kind of um, like she's heroic, but uh, I would say reluctantly. But oh, not, she's no, not reluctantly at all. Quite the opposite. Yeah, exactly. She kind of, she kind of just goes for it. <laughs> yes. I really like that. It's something that um, Ro Karen, erstwhile host of the other federated, simply syndicated podcast, as was Starbase sixty six, um, made a wonderful Woo. post on Facebook about it. About how it's it's wonderful to see one a good girl role model on superhero television. Yes. And two, how given the, the recent trend for gritty superheroes, uh, and I mean, even in some of the Marvel stuff where it's not being gritty, this has still been a problem. It's a delight yeah. to see a character who wants to be a hero, uh-huh. who is given powers and isn't, oh, woe is me, oh, the responsibility, ah, the weight of the world is on my shoulders, but fuck yes, I could solve problems. Um. Yeah, a superhero being a hero. It's it. We've we've not had it for a while, and I, it's delightful. I, she brings that sheer joy to the role that I really really like. And let's face it, it's uh, it's kind of relatable in a way because I I know it sounds cliche, but even though she's an alien, she's incredibly human. Like she has all like the she has the insecurity that anyone would have. She um. You know, she has dissatisfaction in her life, yet on the side she has just this really cool outlet that she can just go mental with and just really likes it. Yes. And, and it's really cool. And I I love, I, I just fell in love with the show immediately when I saw who they'd cast to play her human parents. Oh, um, was it, was it? Oh, was it the original Supergirl? Yep. And? It, I don't know the other. Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark. Is that Dean Kane? Yes, it is. So it's Superman and Supergirl are Supergirl's mum and dad. <laughs> the man like, who, oh, yes. The man who perfected leaping <laughs> out of shot to see to be him as like. <laughs> They're like. Wind machine, jump, and he's out. 
Yep. Although George Reeves did that pretty well as well. But he mainly went through walls. But yeah, that I thought that was a beautiful little I it kind of is an Easter egg, really, isn't it? Casting yeah. that. That is that's really quite special. <laughs> I like that he's there. I like that he's working. Lots that's of true. classic shows. <laughs> Oh my goodness me! We need Terry Hatcher to show up somewhere. That would be good. I I agree. <laughs> oh my goodness me! I did have right. I did have one gripe. Was it Callista Flockhart? No, explain. Well, Callista Flockhart's in it. Oh, a lot of no. people don't like Callista Flockhart. Do you not like her? I didn't mind it, but a lot of people didn't like it. Was she her boss? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought, no, I thought she was all right. She did the job. AKA, um, oh, what was the lead character of Sex? I'm trying to think who, is it? Um, the character of what? Who she plays. Wait, no, she was, sorry. She was Ali McBeal, wasn't she? That's it. Not Sex in the City Girl. She was Ali McBeal. Yeah. I was getting my uh, sort of, Mid nineties female fronted shows mixed up. Sarah Jessica yeah, Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker. That's who I was confusing her with. But yes, yeah, no, I, she was Ali McBeal. Oh God, no! I I, I thought she was fine. She did a stand up job in in my opinion. I think she actually had a very important bit in that episode. Actually, she did. She actually, I think she was trying to channel the Devil Wears Prada a little bit too hard. But maybe, fine, maybe. But what, what I mean more is, and I suppose it's not really down to her. It's more down to the writing, I guess. But um, her line that. Um, I kind of liked actually is when she's like, "What's wrong with being a girl? I'm a girl, you know." And like, I thought it was pretty cool. There, were, mm, I know some people had an issue with that whole speech on the grounds of "You're not a girl, you're a woman. Stop, stop partaking in the infantilization of women." But uh, I, as a sort of "What's wrong with femininity?" speech, I get where you're coming from. Oh, okay. It's just a poor choice of wording, possibly. Yeah. But yeah, uh, overall, it was really good, really positive, and possibly the best thing DC have put on screen in a while. <laughs> Live action. Yeah. I want Jimmy Olsen is cool as well. Yeah, and that's not a phrase you hear often. No. <laughs> that is not a phrase you hear often at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought he, he did really good, actually. Um, Mechhead Brooks. Yeah, like... He didn't have an awful lot to do in that one episode, but obviously there was a lot going on in that episode. Yeah. Um, I mean, like my little niggles storytelling wise, um, that I was about to mention one Superman, mm-hmm. just, just generally. Cause <laughs> no, no, no. Cause like at this point, Superman shows up in one bit of this. Episode. It's not a spoiler. It happens pretty, right. pretty early. Yeah. Superman shows up. You don't see him. You don't have an actor. Uh, you just have the traditional, and you know what? Pretty cool shot of Superman sort of uh, floating there. Um, his head's kind of uh, haloed as he's sort of in front of the in front of the sun or whatever, and he's reaching his hand out. Really iconic imagery, which is yeah. cool. But his presence there worries me slightly mm. um, Why because it worried? makes me think: Do they what? Are, do they know what they're dealing with here? Because the, the whole premise is is that uh, it, this Supergirl um, was sent to Earth as Kal-El's protector. 
She uh, is like 12 when she is blasted off into space, basically space, yeah. a couple of moments after Kal-El's ship is, is sent off. Right. Um, however, something goes awry and um, Kara's, um, that's her name, right? Kara? Yep. Yeah, Kara's, um, you know, pod gets yep. knocked into the Phantom Zone. Right. So Kal-El's pod keeps going as it is, goes past the Yellow Sun, he gets his powers and he lands on Earth. We know the rest of that story. However, Kara in this version is stuck in the Phantom Zone, not aging. Uh, So (laughs) Superman grows up, Kara is still in the Phantom Zone. Then something happens that we don't know yet, but suddenly Kara's pod is ejected from the Phantom Zone, lands on Earth, is discovered by her parents, Mm -hmm. uh, or or foster parents, um, was it Dean... Dean Kane and Helen Slater. Dean Kane, that's it, yeah. Oh, my right, God. Right. And, you know, who wouldn't want to be discovered by them? Uh, <laughs> but, but, um, and then, and then that, that's basically as it goes. Um, but the only thing is, right, Yeah. as she as her pod is ejected from the Phantom Zone, yeah. as is a ginormous prison ship of basically Kryptonian, uh, or rather... Uh, monstrous kind of alien criminals uh, of all over, you know, the universe. The kind that would have been sentenced to the Phantom Zone, basically. Exactly, sentenced to the Phantom Zone. They're that bad, they're put in the Phantom Zone. And you've got to be pretty bad to go to the Phantom Zone. So this ship eventually catches up as well and crash lands onto Earth. My problem is this. Why doesn't Superman do anything about it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see. Because Superman is established. I don't know about you. But Superman, if he hears a Kryptonian prison right. ship... The trouble... Yes, I agree. The trouble with going down that road is it breaks every story in DC. You look at the Batman films. Which ones? Any of them. Okay. <laughs> if you accept that this is in the DC universe, you immediately apply the question, why didn't Superman do something? <laughs> That's very yeah. true. If you look at Arrow, if you look at Flash, if you look at anything yeah. set in the DC universe, you can immediately ask the question, why didn't Superman do something? Yes, the trouble with having you. a character in DC who is essentially a god is that every story could be resolved if he just decided to get involved. <laughs> That's very true, Simon. Um, you but, kind of have to learn to let that go if you're going to be a DC fan. That's very true. <laughs> and, that is very that's, true. That's where the Injustice comic, comic books line came from that's also essentially true. you know what if superman did get involved in everything yeah that's true doesn't end <laughs> up very well <laughs> no but this is what i this is what i mean though is that all right fine i get that obviously <laughs> if um i don't know green arrow is after someone and then superman wails on whoever he's after and disappears no like, attention. For example, bane manages to take over arkham for how many months with a nuke <laughs> And at any time, Bruce could have gotten on the phone and gone, you know, Clark, get your ass over here. Clark flies over, punches Bane, throws the nuke into the sun, job solved. <laughs> see, 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 the thing with that is that we know that Bruce would never contact. That's very true. Would but, never I mean, contact Clark over it. But we know in that universe, Superman wasn't really there. That was just Batman in real life or whatever. But my point, right, this is my point. My, 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 view, on it, my view on it is that in a... Clark and Bruce have a you know an, uh, an unwritten rule that Clark does leaves Bruce's shit alone. Yeah, yeah, but there comes a point when you're like, Bruce, you've had six months, right? You can't handle this. <laughs> I'm just gonna come in, 
throw the nuke into the sun and let you get back to policing Gotham because some problems are too big for you. And Don't that's why those <laughs> films aren't the best because the Batman I know wouldn't need six months. Don't, don't make me use that. But anyway, my point was, if you would allow me... Sorry, sorry. My point is that, fine, problems that are other, other people's problems, Superman wouldn't, wouldn't deal with. I posit that a Kryptonian <laughs> war, war prison ship, right, is right. definitely Superman's problem. <laughs> is what I, I, I'm inclined to agree. And like I but, said, this is the problem with Supergirl as a character. In, in DC Comics, in the New 52, one of the first storylines was that a Kryptonian genetically engineered weapon called a World Eater turned up on Earth. And, and Clark knows who Supergirl is, knows she's just finding her feet with her powers, knows she isn't quite capable as a hero yet, but absolutely lets a a Kryptonian planet-ending scale bad guy just run rampant on her for several issues and just but, doesn't get involved. That's very true. And in this in the show that happens, she has to fight a criminal. But what I loved, right, this is the only other niggle I have. Everything else I loved. Only other thing was... There is a really, and I will admit, for I'm guessing for just a pilot budget as well, I was kind of impressed with this fight. But Supergirl basically is trying to hold off the, I can't remember his name, but a Kryptonian war, no, he wasn't Kryptonian, he was an alien war criminal, but he was super strong, um, fighting a Supergirl that hasn't really got to grip with their powers, but she's basically trying to fend him off. And he kicks the shit out of her, essentially. He beats the crap out of her. And then it's almost like he's going for like the killing blow or whatever. And then a helicopter shows up and he runs away. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, really? I'm like, really? That was a bit <laughs> weak, I agree. I was like, I'm sorry, Supergirl does not need help from a fucking helicopter, okay? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, you have Kryptonian helicopter. One breaks, one doesn't. Why is this happening? Um, but uh, other than that, top notch. I mean, they were also <laughs> setting up a hell of a lot of sort of villains and potential antagonists. Yeah, absolutely. Toy Man was in there. Yeah. Uh, Livewire was in there. Huh. Uh and and potential allies as well, like uh, Tio cool. Morrow was in there as well. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, they're, they're building a big DC universe around her, so it's going to be really interesting to see where they take it. It is, exactly. And when I, when I talk about that ship in that way, I'm, I mean, end of the day, if you ignore the element of Superman showing up, blah, 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 that is such a cool story element. That's such a cool uh, narrative excuse to just have like a... Um, just a, a big cast of villains, monster of the week sort of style to get your first season up and going so you can test the character, see what's going on. Yeah, it, it's your Arkham Asylum prison break. Yeah. Uh, you know, now we've gone set up a storyline where you have to take down the villains one by one. Let's go. And then eventually, can you imagine like it building to the showdown where a particularly... Um, a particularly that's prominent villain has taken control of the actual ship, and that's like the new enemy base. I'd like to have it like a, just an enemy base, like uh, Power Rangers or something, really over the top. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, yes, uh, yes, I do. They have already introduced a character named Hank Kenshaw, and for those who don't know, is the man who at some point 
gets assimilated by Brainiac. But more importantly, is, I believe, the guy who becomes Cyborg Superman. And that really interested me because he currently is like the commanding officer of the uh, military kind of um, enforcement. Uh, who, who are they again? Those guys, Simon. Oh, the um, CEO, the Department of Extra Normal Operations. That's it. He's head of that. And I'm thinking, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Cyborg Superman got involved in this? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely piqued my interest. I mean, he's not just Cyborg Superman. He's also been part of Sinestro Corps, if they want yes. to go down that road. That's uh, true. Yeah, he, he's a big villain. But mm-hmm. he's probably best known for being Cyborg Superman. Yeah. And and they do love pitching Cyborg Superman as a Supergirl villain. So I, I expect it to go that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know what? I, I'm thinking, like, imagine if this goes really well but it kind of goes uh, the way of a lot of different shows go. Um, and like it gets to its seventh season and it's starting to flag a bit. And that's when Crypto shows up. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if they had Crypto. I'd be like, this is the best. No, then- no, if it's Supergirl, it's going to be the horse. Oh, yeah, of oh, course. Crypto. Well, Crypto hung up with her quite a bit, but what was the horse called? Oh, I cannot remember. I, I just know him as Super Horse. Uh, what the fuck was his name? Google, come oh to my, my rescue. What was Superhorse called? Comet. Comet was the Superhorse. Oh, okay. I do remember the Superhorse. It was Supergirl's Superhorse. I think I prefer Superhorse. <laughs> Superhorse is a stronger name. And uh, he was um, he was a centaur. Yeah. Oh, was he? Oh, yeah. He yeah. Into a... I thought he was yeah. just a horse. No, no. Um, Comet the Super Horse was a centaur, uh, but he was cursed, so he was no longer half human and half horse. He was either horse or man at any moment. <laughs> and this, right, this got really weird. This is this is Golden Age comics at its best. This mm-hmm. got really weird. That This sentence alone is strange enough. Yeah. No, it, it gets worse, though. Because Supergirl kept Comet as a pet. Right. Yeah. But started dating human form Comet. Oh, God. So her horse was her boyfriend. Oh, DC. Well. So that got really strange. Hung like a stallion, though, right? Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, Alex has just brought up a good point. Um, like, can you imagine, and this is, is give Alex the credit for the mutant wishlisting here, but if, if Kara gets cloned and we get Power Girl. Or or if they do the multiverse and we get Uh, Well, actually, to be fair, no, they've, they've already, I'm sorry, they've already introduced the multiverse uh, in DC TV so far, haven't they? Exactly. So we could get Power Girl from the multiverse. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, well, no, I don't know. Well, they could do it anyway, to be fair. But but I would like a different actress t- to play her. Yes, they do because she has a different. very different build. They are, aren't they? And I want them to do the joke that they did when Power Girl and Supergirl met in the New 52, which was one of the few good things about the New 52, <laughs> which is when Kara looks at Power Girl's costume. 
Yeah. And it's like, I would never wear something like that. And Power Girl looks back and goes, I got it out of your wardrobe. And it's like, yes, but it fits very differently on me. <laughs> amazing. So, yeah, I, I would love to see Power Girl turn up. And I mean, Power Girl's amazing. If we're mutant wish listing, if they're going to go down that route, bring Huntress in as well. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, Power Girl bird, and Huntress are an pray. amazing double Oh, my God. That'd be so cool. They probably won't do that because then that impinges on the the Batman property and I very much doubt they have that for TV. I've just realised, I think they've already done it. Uh, I think they've done that in Arrow. Oh, have they? Yeah, I think so. But which Huntress have they done? I don't know. Because there are two Huntresses who are... It's weird, they're almost the same character, but because of the multiverse, they're completely different. One is our Huntress in the main universe, which is Helena Bertinelli, who is the daughter of a mob family and um, becomes a vigilante. And the other one is Helena Wayne, who is the more interesting one, who is the daughter of uh, Bruce Wayne and Selina Kyle. Oh, wow. And trained by both of them. Oh, Oh, my God. Yeah, she's awesome. <laughs> and she's the one who um, is a double act with Power Girl in Earth 2. Oh, yeah. Which is where DC in the New 52 got what I thought was the best book in the New 52, World's Finest, which originally started as a tagline for the books where Batman and Superman teamed up as yeah, the World's course. Finest. But in the New 52, the World's Finest were Power Girl and Huntress, or Batman's daughter, and Supergirl rather than Superman. Oh, man. You see, this is the thing. Like, There are so many different avenues that DC can go down. They just need to start going down them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they need to stop, and they need to look around, and they need to absorb it. <laughs> <laughs> they, they need to clean house on their comics first. They've got a lot to sort out. Give they them, do give have a, a lot chance. to sort out. <laughs> I, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm sh- like comics go through cycles, you know. Sometimes, you know, in the past, DC have been on their game and Marvel haven't, and vice versa. Like it's, it, it's, it's just cycling. Hopefully, they'll get it right. They'll find a different way, and it'll be great. I mean, even in the New Fifty Two, they were doing certain things right as well as doing certain things wrong. And now yeah. they're doing their post New Fifty Two thing again. They've got a bunch of stuff right. They're still doing a bunch of stuff wrong. Yeah, I mean, they'll get there. Hopefully, he said Hopefully. optimistically. <laughs> but in the meantime, Prez is amazing, if you haven't read it. No, no. Prez, Prez is its an original book in the new lineup. It's, right. uh, it's not a superhero book in any way. The concept of the book, it's, it's really weird. Uh, basically, <laughs> it's set in a very fucked up satirical view of our future. Okay. Which feels a lot, to me, it feels a lot like a sort of PG-13 version of the world Warren Ellis put together for Transmetropolitan. Oh, Warren Ellis is amazing. It's that kind of colourfully weird, psychedelic, dystopia future. Um, You know, there's advertising everywhere, and elections are now Twitter popularity polls. And I mean, Ah. like, US presidential elections. Oh, wow. Um, And... What happens that's, is... That's pretty relevant to modern day as it is. Yes. Oh, I know. It is very, very... Everything in it is very relevant to modern Kanye day politics. President. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so re- That is very relevant. And the, the mainstream election has come down to the political clone in the red tie or the political clone in the blue tie, 
uh, and literally the public don't care to choose between them because they're as bad as each other and there's no difference. Whoever you get, you get the government. You know, that whole thing. And Anonymous uh, put forward the write-in candidate of a 16-year-old girl who went viral when she was doing a Vine video, basically, in her fast food minimum wage job <laughs> and accidentally burnt her hair in the grease trap. <laughs> who has gone worldwide vi- uh, viral as Corndog Girl. So right. now the election is between political clone in red tie, political t- uh, clone in blue tie, and Corndog Girl. <laughs> so it comes to the, the presidential college voting, and they can't uh, come up with a majority. Yeah. So there's no majority. They go back, they start negotiating, they go back, there's no majority. They go back, they start negotiating. And a lot of the states start to realize that if they pretend that they're going to put their support behind Corndog Girl, (laughs) both the Republicans and the Democrats start getting very generous in the sort of bribes and open bids for power that they start offering them. Of course. And so more and more states start to pitch their vote behind Corndog Girl in the hopes of getting huge concessions. (laughs) <laughs> Until accidentally, a majority of them all do it at the same time, and she's voted president. Wow. That's amazing. So you have a 16-year-old millennial in charge of, well, their equivalent of millennials, uh, suddenly in charge of America in this really fucked up, social media-obsessed dystopia. Um and there's this wonderful moment where sort of one of the controlling senators of the Electoral College it's like, I don't give a shit about Republicans or Democrats. Whoever they are, they can be controlled. But a president who doesn't owe anyone anything? A president who is answerable to none of us? This will not stand. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just a really interesting look at politics with a lot of humor and some really, really f- brilliant art. Uh, I thoroughly recommend amazing. it. Wow. And from the sort of uh, pop-up adverts in real life to the the kids with Xbox controllers on their couches um, acting as reservists operating drones in all the trouble spots around the world to... uh, It's just... It's a really, really fun book that has actually quite a lot to say about the world we live in. Oh, my goodness me. Did Warren Ellis, Ellis, I could be wrong, did he do Why the Last Man? No. Who did Why the Last Man? Uh, Why the Last Man was uh, Brian K. Vaughan. That's it. I always mix those two up. We should do an episode of Why the Last Man. Yes, we should. Um, and, and Saga, actually. Oh, well, Saga, not. Saga, I've read uh, Why the Last Man, I've not. So. Oh, well, I've read Why the Last Man and not Saga, so there you go. <laughs> we have, we have well, those. if you each read the other... Um, yes. And yes. possibly it's also Ex Machina, because Ex Machina is his other sort of creator-owned stuff, and it's also really, really... Speaking of presidential stuff, it's also really, really good. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Ex Machina is the story of a man who is accidentally granted the power to control machines um, uh, without really going into why that is. It is, of course, extraterrestrial in origin. Uh, but he is a politician and he becomes president. Mm. Oh, wow. And also super powered. I, I that sounds incredibly cool. 
It is a really good book. Um, so yeah, Brian K. Vaughan is, yeah, he's one of the people working today in comics who is just anything he writes is worth a look. Of course. Um, but speaking of comic book writers, who would you say is your favourite comic book writer, Simon, of interest? Definitely oh, God, not laying yeah. out a hook for a segue. <laughs> there are so many. I'm not sure which one you want me to bite on. Uh, I, Do I'm what a, it feels right. Well, I am a big Warren Ellis fan, uh, but I'm not sure if I would say he's my favourite uh, at the moment or in history. At the moment. Ooh. The hook is dangling further. The hook is no. There are there are so many great writers at the moment, and I'm honestly at the moment I'm most enjoying the work of Ryan North of Dinosaur Comics. Why? Just say, just say, just say um, you know, just to say the one that I want you to say. I have no idea what you want me to say. Gillen. Oh, Kieran. Yes. Okay. Yes. Oh, on first name terms, are we? <laughs> <laughs> See, to be fair, well, yes. I've met him a few times. So. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. He, he, uh, just say let's do that again let's do that again from sorry the i was thinking of dc and and marvel <laughs> and i was not thinking of indie comics writers yes kieran gillen yeah absolutely who ha- is in part responsible for an epic trade paperback called the wicked and the divine and <laughs> obviously the wicked and the divine but um uh, i recently read his work on vader Yes. Oh, I've read Vader. Yeah, yeah his Vader storyline has been phenomenal. Uh, and I thought as we we're talking about comics, like, oh my goodness me, like, um, I, I read this and it is, it is a joy. Like, the guy gets it's how so good. talks. There's, um, there's all, it's the panels that ended up getting crossed over into the main Star Wars comic because they were so important and so good. Specifically, yeah. Boba Fett reporting to Vader about Luke. Yeah. about Luke and the the window of the Star Destroyer, sh- not shattering, but spiderweb cracking in front of Vader in his rage. Yeah, that scene is so powerful. Uh, I particularly liked the bit, um, and and it's just it's not a throwaway line, but it just made me think of classic Vader, and it's him, it's Vader standing in front of Jabba the Hutt at the very beginning, and. Um, Vader has already killed like two people, um, and Jabba is just like, "What? Uh, what would you? What do you expect, uh, Lord Vader? Uh, a warm welcome when you've killed uh, two of my men?" And Vader's like, "I have killed only to pray. I do not rethink my generosity." And it's like, "Oh my God, that is exactly how Vader speaks, and it's beautiful." Yeah, yeah. He yeah, he probably. gets Vader in a terrifying way. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, he because Vader does speak in a certain way. Like it's really strange. Like um, there are only a couple of characters that do sort of speak like that, and it's kind of I know it's going to sound really weird and pretentious and shit, but if you watch Star Wars, there is a Shakespearean device used where kind of the. People from the old era of Star Wars, if you forget the prequels and you just watch Star Wars standalone, you have Actually. you have the experienced characters like Obi-Wan, you've got Vader, you've got the Emperor, you've got and people Yoda. who have experienced a different time. And they all speak in a very different way to how the rest speak, how the, rest, the main cast speak. No, and it's you're like, absolutely right. 
And it's like the, the characters of old and the characters of uh, status or um, of mythical kind of qualities in Shakespeare spoke in verse uh, and spoke in a particular way. Whereas people who are a bit more common in, in, in that kind of play, not so much. And I, uh, yeah, I, I just want to rant there about how people speak in Star Wars. They've kind of got that sort of thing in actually in um, How to Train Your Dragon. Yes. Because all, you know, the, the, the adults, the parents and stuff speak with Scottish accents. You know, they're Scottish. <laughs> all, the voice actors, all the voice actors are Scottish. I love it. <laughs> and, oh, but, yeah. all, but all the kids are American. You know, so it shows the, the, the age difference. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it also shows, in a kid's show uh, yeah. or kid's film, who you're supposed to relate to and who you're supposed to regard as the authority figures. It does yeah. that really well. Yeah. But anyway, sorry, tangent. Um, it's really good. Like, there's, there's um, an inclusion of a, a wicked uh, uh, duo, um, very similar to... Um, Triple Zero. <laughs> and, oh, what is the astromech? I cannot remember his... BT1? Code. Something like that. They yeah. are amazing. They're incredible. Um, C-3PO uh, is, well, it's basically a protocol droid um, that looks a lot like C-3PO and an astromech droid that looks a fairly, a little bit like R2. They they very, they fit that sort of uh, look anyway. Um, yes. I mean, it's yeah. it's an imperial astromech, so he has the sort of conical top rather than yes. the dome. Yeah, that's... And triple zero is not gold, he's monochrome. Yeah, uh, and his protocols are not just translation, but also murder and calumniation and yeah. all that good Tor stuff. He is, he is, because he's an assassin droid. He's just a protocol droid in disguise, which is kind of, I think, someone might have played Knights of the Republic and met HK. <laughs> I think possibly, given that <laughs> Kieran Gillen used to be a gaming journalist, I think there might be a little reach back to that. A little, yes. but I don't mind that because it's such a good idea. The it, it is. protocol droid is only pretending to be a polite protocol droid, or rather it's programmed to think it is, um, and it just politely murders people yep. in horrendous ways. And he <laughs> is so polite about it. Yes. That's the thing that really gets me about him. <laughs> He'll kill you with a please and a thank you, you know? <laughs> but it's, it's not the droids that I really loved in this book. It's their discoverer. It's Afra. Yeah, the, she's The wicked. girl who makes her career delving into archaeological ruins and reactivating ancient weapons and droids. Basically Star Wars Indiana Jones. Yes. Yeah. But, oh, I was sold I on just... her so quickly because yeah, Vader she's comes to her to get the droids. Yeah. yeah. And he gets the droids. Yeah, it's and Afra knows who Vader is. So she says, "If I get a choice, lightsaber through the neck from behind. Don't want to see it coming. Yeah. If I get a veto, mm, don't throw me into space. I've always had a problem with that. Yeah. And Vader's like, "What are you talking about?" She's like, "Well, you're going to kill me, right? I'm not useful to you anymore." She's like, oh, "No, I still have a use for you." Vader just goes, "I'll consider it." Well, that's it. When the time comes, I'll consider it. Like he doesn't even pretend like he isn't going to murder her, and I'm convinced he's going to murder her at some point. Oh no, he is. I mean, this for one thing, it's Vader. Of for another thing, it's Kieran Gillen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, Darth Vader is the most dangerous character to have in that man's like narrative hands. <laughs> like, my goodness me. And the Death Star is. 
uh, around as well, which worries well, me. Death Star 2 electric boogaloo. I'm like, I'm wondering, they must have tested the Death Star before they shot at Alderaan, right? This is set. Well, no, this is after they've blown up Alderaan. Oh, no, of course it is. Of course it is. The Death Star's been destroyed the by this point. It's the... free Empire. Yeah, the whole principle of the book is that Vader was in charge of the Death Star at the time it was destroyed. (laughs) Therefore, he's in the doghouse. Yes. So the Emperor has kicked him aside a little bit and gone, you are not my right hand, you must earn that position. And and Vader's like, (laughs) gone off in a grumpy (laughs) sulk and has decided to rob the Emperor. Um, (laughs) Which he literally does. Which the Emperor knew was going to happen. (laughs) There's the Emperor. There, yeah, there's that inclusion of that character who you see in um, the... Uh, he's the guy who's always been the big supporter of the Imperial fleet rather than the, uh, the Death Star. Isn't he specifically he has, the one who he's is specifically like, don't the try guy. intimidate us with your sorcerer's ways. ways. Sorcerer's ways. You and, and your sad religion. Vader's boss. Conjure up the secret plans. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's now... Oh, is that him? Yeah. Ah. Uh, yep. Yeah, he's just the reason he he's put in charge is the Emperor specifically giving a middle finger to Vader, going, oh, I now value this man more than you. And it shows it shows like they've paid so much attention to those films because this guy was all about like the Imperial fleet. And he has this wicked fucking monologue where he says the Death Star was a um it, it was arrogant, you know, it was um uh, to the point of if it uh, it's like spectacle, like he says. Um, but really, nothing really matches the unending wave that is the Imperial fleet. Like he's all about like the navy, um, and uh, it, it made, that for that it made total sense that that's why he left the Death Star. That's why he wasn't on it when it exploded. He went back to his precious fleet instead. I loved it. It's very clever, and I think he's going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's inevitable, yes. I think he's going to get on the wrong side of Vader's sorcerous ways. <laughs> and he's going to end up um, choked out, man. But yeah, it's it's a, it's a my favourite of the current crop of Star Wars comics. And I'm, I've read all of them apart from the Lando one. Oh, really? I've not read any other than the Vader one. The mainline Star Wars one is really good, right? Um, Jason Aaron can write Star Wars. He yeah. writes Luke perfectly. He writes Han and Leia perfectly. He can write Star Wars. I really recommend you give it a look. So what what does what time period does that cover? The same? Same period. It's actually exactly the same timeline. The scene with Boba Fett reporting to Vader about finding Luke is in it. That's you know, it literally crosses over. Um, and also, I saw a tweet from Jason Aaron about writing Triple Zero and enjoying it thoroughly. So I think they're going to turn up as well. Oh my goodness me. And they, they, they've been quite clever about that, really, because unlike between Empire and Return of the Jedi, between New Hope and Empire is kind of ambiguous. Like, you had quite a lot of time pass. Like, I remember the novel um, Shadows of the Empire, mm. um, I believe, occurring between Empire and Return, I think it was. Um, uh, that was a shorter space of time, but it was still, you know... There's a lot can happen in Star Wars, and it's fucking amazing. And um, what I really like about the Star Wars comic is it shows the character development of the main cast of Star Wars between the two films, because the characters that came back for Empire weren't quite the characters that left off Star Wars. They're a bit more true. seasoned. Um, so it's it shows 
Leia sort of coming to terms with her role in the rebellion and potentially the new Senate. It shows Luke finding his feet as a Jedi and, you know, from sort of a lot of, he he lacks a lot of self-confidence at the start of the story because he fluked this win. Yeah. But he's no soldier. He's no Jedi. No. Um, Yet. (laughs) And it's establishing the characters and how they got from one place to the other. And it, Mm. it fills in the gap really nicely. Uh, even Leia uh, has her own comic where she goes off and does her own thing and it's I think it's essential because one of my big problems with Leia's character arc say it in Star Wars is that she is not constantly but recurrently the shoulder for Luke to cry on because Luke has lost his family and Luke has lost Obi-Wan and she's there yeah. to give him comfort but this is the woman. This is the lost person her entire who her fucking entire civilization. Planet explode. <laughs> Luke's like, oh Ben. Exactly. Like, you'll be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yep. So her story is literally her leaving the rebellion and saying, look, there's something I've got to do. Yeah. And she goes to every old Iranian colony she can think of, everywhere they have a settlement. Mm. And gathers her people together. She's, as the princess, she is now in charge of old Iranian society. And it's her personal responsibility. So she goes and regathers every old Iranian she can find and every old Iranian she can think of. And makes sure they're safe. Because she's like, the empire will not stop at that. If they're going to wipe out Alderaan, they're going to wipe out Alderaan. All of it. Mm. And you are Alderaan. So I keep you safe. And she gathers them, finds them somewhere to hide. And it's it's a really good um, look at how she can go from being the character of the first film to the character of the second and third. I think that's that is wonderful. And I think it's it's such a it's so refreshing in a way to take a concept that we're all so familiar with. Everyone knows Alderan explodes. But, you know, it it gives it more weight, you know? Like, if Mm. you watch the original, it's kind of like it happens and then you kind of don't talk about it anymore, you know? No one ever talks about Alderaan. It's kind of like the daily little secret, like, oh, we let that happen, shit. Um, (laughs) uh, That's really clever. I like that quite a lot. It's great. And the other thing he does is he does flashbacks. Oh, of course, yeah. And we get to see Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan. A little yeah. bit more. Yeah. And those are really good because I love young Obi-Wan as a character. Yeah. It's, the yeah. prequels were not the best vehicle for him. And now not suddenly we get some great vehicles for him because we get Jason yeah. Aaron writing him. And he, well, it's, he's, it's, it's so just good. the character, isn't it? It's just taking that character and putting him in, you know, new situations rather than in dreadfully written things, you know. Um uh, what I was going to ask, because I, I swear I saw a cover of the Star Wars comic. I've not read it, but I've saw, I think, an issue. And it really interested me because there was a, I believe, an old Marvel comic that did this time period before briefly, um, where Luke actually had his first sort of skirmish against Vader before he faces him in Bespin. Um, this is before Empire, where... Um, and this is expanded universe stuff, but where him and Leia are um, 
on a planet with R2 and C-3PO, Han Solo isn't there because they weren't sure whether he was going to be returning to uh, Empire Strikes Back at this time. Yep. Um, so he wasn't there. Um, so it's just Luke and Leia, and they face off against Vader in a struggle to attain what is known as the Kyber Crystal, which um, is basically like an ancient force artifact that sort of enhances force powers, essentially, and Vader gets it. Um, and it's really cool. Like it's it obviously not canon, and it you know um, I think it it takes away from the uh, the impact of Vader finally standing um, uh, up against the man who who allegedly murdered his father and Obi Wan Kenobi. It takes it away from that a little bit, but you know it's still an interesting, cool uh, little tidbit of story. Um, what are you talking about? You think Vader? Yeah, going up against the man who. No, I'm saying Luke. I'm saying Luke goes up to Vader, the man who murdered his father, so he thinks, and Obi Wan. As 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 far as he's concerned, that Vader murdered both of them. I'm sorry, Alex. Have you forgotten that at the end of that, it is then revealed to him (laughs) that that didn't happen? Actually, (laughs) plot twist. Spoilers. No, 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 I actually, I actually, I actually agree with Alex. It, the way it came across, sound like came, the, was finding the person who killed Obi Wan and his parents. Uh, did I say that? It came across a little bit like that. I'm going to look forward to listening to this, <laughs> and then when I hear myself say this, I'll feel like a massive twat. <laughs> <laughs> Unless I was right. Anyway, we talked about this for too long. Let's move on. Well, I was going to say, they don't do the Kyber Crystal bit, but issue one of Jason Aaron's Star Wars ends with Luke facing down Vader in a corridor, and issue two picks up at exactly that moment. So it does establish that Luke and Vader tangle shortly after the Death Star. That's cool. And it is amazing because um, Vader doesn't know who he is at this point. This is before he's found out right. who his son is. And the dialogue between them is marvellous. Vader just looks him down as Luke snaps open the lightsaber. Yeah. And he says, you hold that weapon like an untrained child. You have no right to it. You, boy, are no Jedi. Who are you? You killed my father. I've killed very many fathers. You'll have to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, it's great. That's because amazing. They don't really fight. Vader just nicks his lightsaber and uh, is interrupted by an Atat stepping on the building they're in. Uh, but just watching... Surely he recognises the lightsaber. Well, yes. That's why he says you have no right to it. Ah. And that's why he steals it. Um... But just watching the way Luke gets away from him and lives, he's like, there's more to him. Yeah. He's more interesting. And yeah. so he starts paying close attention to him. And then he's like, you're the pilot that destroyed the Death Star. Yeah. And starts becoming interested in him in, in that sense. And oh, then man. when Boba Fett returns to him and says, that was your son, that's why Vader cracks the window yes, it's well, the not window just cracks. learning that it was his son it's learning that he had his son within arm's reach of him so recently 
yeah. and let him go. Yeah. Or, well, and he <laughs> didn't let him go, and he got away. Uh, it's Yeah, that's what makes Vader snap. Oh, that's giving me chills, man. I need to read that. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's it's really good. It's um, specifically when Luke is on a speeder bike and Vader is chasing him. And immediately, Vader as a pilot, looking at Luke as a pilot, even if it's of ground vehicles, not fighters, mm. like, oh, now I know who you are. There's this moment where they're just shooting down this corridor and Luke is just dodging all the laser fire and Vader suddenly realizes, like, not this time, boy. You will not outrun me again. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. so cool. It's, it's a really good book. Oh, man. That's exciting. I need sh- shit. I need to get on this. And yeah, and he writes all of them so well, like, as they're making their escape in the Millennium Falcon. Han is basically unconscious. He's he's woozy. And Leia is piloting as Chewie is trying to repair the ship. Yeah. And she just yells at him, Chewbacca, we need that hyperdrive working. And Chewie does Wookiee roar. (laughs) And it's like, what did he say? And Han next to it just goes, "Uh." yeah, that's what I thought he said. (laughs) That's that's really well done. That has the right rhythm. It does. And then it's like, maybe the ship isn't so bad after all. And you'll never remember I said that, will you? Is it wrong I like you better this way? (laughs) Oh, perfect. They are so good. It's the way he writes the cast just makes me smile, that sort of nostalgic, gleeful smile. I really recommend the Star Wars book. Yep, definitely getting on that. I will go and buy that. Definitely. <laughs> um, I should work on commission. You should, to be fair, man. Like you, uh, you describing the bit uh, with Vader and Luke—that was fucking amazing, man. Um, but I guess speaking of Star Wars, have we talked about the trailer at length last episode? Was it? I, I forget. It's, it's yes, a large so part of the episode. Remember, remember <laughs> no, wasn't it the poster? poster? Oh god, yes, poster. we were own, we managed to fill a large part of the episode with the poster, didn't we? It was yes, the poster. Yeah. Fucking right. Yeah, no, well, let's to be, talk to about the trailer cuz Okay. Uh cuz hey, we've only been going an hour and 47 minutes and a large amount of that's going to be cut out. So, <laughs> that's uh, true. We've got to work <laughs> extra hard tonight now. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. Cuz we were talking about the little thing with the goggles. Yes, yes that's right. It was an alien person. Yeah. Thing. And I think it is going to be a significant character. Yeah, because... I, I'm, starting to, I'm starting to sort of. Uh, I'm just gonna just hit the nail on the head and just say I, I might take back what I said last episode about it. Might <laughs> Are you aware uh, aware who's portraying that character? Uh, I'm not. No, that's Lupita Nyong'o's character. Oh, and I don't think they hired her for a bit part. No, admittedly, I did say secondary, tertiary, but maybe maybe there'll be more. That's that's a big name for. Uh... Yeah, it is. Mm. But that anyways, is... that character does not appear in the trailer. No. Nor does. Actually, I don't even know if I want to say that name because I don't know how many people have heard it. Because I'm one of those people who goes out and seeks information. I actually like knowing a little bit going in. I like amuse bushes. I like teasers. 
Um, but Andy Serkis's character, I'll say it that way. Therefore, if you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about. But if you don't, then it's not a mystery. You just know Andy Serkis is in the film. Yeah. But his character was notably absent from the trailer. As well, was I, I, I still don't. I only know his name. I don't know anything about him other than that. Do you know his title? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's enough to know he's going to be significant. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I do not. Well, then we uh, shall not I, ruin it for you. I, I think <laughs> as well, considering on, uh, especially when, when we're recording and stuff, because I, I think it's a, yeah, it's a big one. It's definitely important. But yeah. uh, I know what you mean. Um, the trailer itself, oh my God, like... I don't know how they keep managing it, but every time they release something, it just gets better and I know. better and better. I, like this one, I loved because it was it it was a character portrayal of three people. Number one, it shows us that Daisy Ridley's character, um, Ray, is the Luke Skywalker of yes. this. She's trilogy. not a farm girl, but she's that backwater planet naive ish character who lives in a small world and is about to find out her universe is a lot bigger but yeah but at the same time definitely has a skill set oh yes definitely you know definitely has like a a bit of an attitude already you know she's already exceptional she is already exceptional she can bullseye one prats back home you know bullseye one prats she has that setup of being a little bit special but i love oh god right speaking of how do they do it Mm. The moment the first shot of her dropping into the the broken down star destroyer must be yeah with the who are you voiceover I was just chills immediately yeah I was like God how did you do that <laughs> yeah because there's a little there's a little and oh my God I'm gonna get to this later but as the trailer starts a cover is pulled off the camera and dust goes into the air and you just see a goggled face and you have a single kind of noise mm. and it's like <gasps> and it, it that makes your the hairs on the back of your neck go up um but yeah so you see her you see her doing these like some really cool basically scavenging stuff and she says star wars indiana jones yeah she, and she she's says, the good afra i'm no one she says yep. wrong uh, <laughs> uh she's, she's just a farm boy someone. you know uh, it's it's that same self-critical thing that Luke has at first. Yeah. I'm never going to get out of this place. But I was going to go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Ah, <laughs> uh, bless him. But yeah, so you have you have that development. Then you have John Boyega's character, um, Finn. And again, we have a character study from him. For I a, was raised exactly. to do one thing. And I've I, got nothing to fight for. I have nothing to fight for. And it looks like this guy is coming from the other side. He has a completely different perspective, and he's literally crash landing into her world. Yep, and that's gonna ignite something crazy. And then, arguably, one of my favourite bits: there is a long, sort of zooming shot through the bridge of a star destroyer. Yes, but, and it's the it's, same shot, albeit a yep. little tighter, that we always have a Vader on the bridge. But with its own kind of unique lighting, so it is yes. the same but different. There, it's sort of like this dreaded, dread red kind of atmosphere, 
and you've got his voice, and he's just like, nothing will stand in our way. I will finish what you started. And it, oh my God. Like, now it, I find it, it that hugely interesting because yeah. you could potentially take that two very different ways. That's very true. What Vader started could be the annihilation of the Jedi. It could be. It could also be the overthrow of the Empire. It could be. Because he started that. He killed the Emperor. And I'm suddenly sitting there waiting for the reveal. When you say, I will finish what you started, which do you mean? Yeah. Who is your boss? Is it Luke? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't think that is the case, personally. But I... I've seen Mark Hamill's uh, reply to all the Kylo Ren is Luke Skywalker theorists out there. Kylo Ren is clearly not Luke, because I went back no, and checked after not. our last episode. No, Rob, you're so right. stupid. We it's have seen shots of Kylo Ren with his mask off uh, in the snow with stormtroopers, so we know Kylo, who Kylo Ren is. Yeah. But we don't also, know what role yeah. Luke plays. Yeah. No. But it's just... If you, did you see his response though? No, no I didn't. That, to all that. He put, he just put. It was just a picture of him holding a um, a sign that basically said, "Stop saying Luke is Kylo Ren, or I will force choke you." Uh, <laughs> well, there you that, go. That is, <laughs> now, that's the maybe, yeah. Because <laughs> um, I right, I've long thought <laughs> the reason I like Old Republic way more than I like OG Star Wars, yeah, is because it. It views the dissection of the Force into the dark and the light as a problem. Yeah. It views that as inherently bad. Mm-hmm. And Luke, in the films even, only in the films, if we take that as the only source of canon, we can mm-hmm. see his path to the middle of the Force. He is a much darker and more sinister figure in Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And I like this sense that he did give in to his hate in the fight against the Emperor, and it did awaken a sense of his family destiny in him. Not to say he's gone completely dark, but to say he is not fully embracing the light. He never had a lifetime of indoctrination into the Jedi Order. Exactly. The the very thing, and it's my favourite moment of Return of the Jedi, arguably one of my favourite bits of Star Wars, is when it's Vader saying... If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she will. And it's that that makes him crack. It's his emotion. It's his wanting to protect his friends. It is a perfectly relatable reason why he would attack someone who he is trying to save, but is now threatening something that is dear to him. That is what a Jedi is. A Jedi is not some unemotive kind of alien kind of shell of a being that just follows an order blindly. No, this is just a guy who's and, doing the right thing. That's and it what the echoes the way Anakin was turned to Vader. It was, again, the fate of someone he loved. Yeah. It's, it's such an easy m- emotion to crack mm. open Jedi uh, training, and Luke hasn't had any. No. But... I think that's that. That's why. That's why I've always preferred thinking of Jedi outside of anything. And I know. I know. I bitch about the prequels a lot, but I think that they're one of the <laughs> fundamental things about that is that the Jedi. You can't. 
you can't root for those Jedi really because you don't care about them. Mm. No, absolutely just, true. Yeah, you, they're just they're just blank. There's nothing. Nothing drives them. I um, they're completely detached from the society they supposedly serve. Yes, yeah. uh, they're completely <laughs> inward looking. They're yeah. they're they. Yeah, they're just insular, they're just self-protecting, um, and, and they don't care for anyone or anything. No. And I like the idea that, because we've got new writers on the case, we've got mm. a new direction, I like this idea that Luke, it happened with Anakin. He was the hero of the first three, the villain of the second three. Now, the hero of the... Th- Third three can become the villain of the third uh, of the second three can become the hit villain of the third three. I like this because Star Wars is nothing if not cyclical. That's true. Mm. So it fits so well for what we thought would be the Obi Wan character to be the Vader character, but to be a little bit more subtle than that. Not light or dark, not hero or villain, but antagonist. Mm. One thing that and I, this is the only thing that makes me question part of this. Like, it, it, in fact, it was really my argument against why Luke wouldn't be Kylo Ren, which is like, I, I think is definite anyway. But my well, argument yeah, always was that if you think about this coldly, uh, calculatingly, as if you think think of it like you're you're running a studio, you've got a new franchise uh, that is born from an old franchise. But because of that, you have some old actors that are coming back and that's great. That's fantastic. But you, do you really want to be the studio exec that you're making your main new villain, actually a 60 something old guy who probably won't want to be in all of them? No, absolutely. No, what I'm saying is not that he's, it's right. The comparison is he's not Vader as in, he's not the big bad who's coming in and storming and kicking ass throughout the film. Oh no. Yeah. That's Kylo Ren. Yeah. He's more like Palpatine. Yes, I know. He is the shadowy Eminence Grease who is manipulating things behind the scenes. Therefore, he doesn't have to work a very active schedule. He is a tie back to the past for the OG fans, mm. but you don't need to make him part, a big part of your merchandising for the new franchise. Kylo Ren is the toy. Yeah, I but agree. Luke is the anchor for the fans of Star Wars. So he plays this role, this guiding role. And maybe like Obi-Wan, he gets killed in the first film. Because maybe maybe he doesn't want to do the others. And maybe it is a passing of the torch. But if you make him a catalyst for the events, it would be much more interesting to have him as this ambiguous figure than a light or a dark figure. Oh, I completely agree. his prophecy was to bring balance. Mm. And what if he does that by trying to annihilate both extremes? It's well, a theme that we're very familiar with on this show. But I, I very, yeah, that's very true. And I, but I, I do, I do hesitate when we talk about the whole bringing balance thing because that's, you know, not that's not original, you know. Uh, but it, that doesn't matter. My, my, my thought more is: Do you think that somewhat takes away from Luke's victory at the end of Return of the Jedi? If later we've seen he's fallen astray, I know there's a lot of time. I just think that this is something they'd have to handle incredibly well. Because what if they don't do that? What if actually it's not as subtle as you uh, described, Simon, but indeed is actually, oh, Luke just went evil. 
<laughs> that that would be a bit of a problem, yes. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So they have to be, I think they've got to be Horror careful. Matter. But I, I still have so much faith. I think whatever they do, really, I'm pretty sure will be incredible. At this point, I'm sold. Like, Oh, I'm all aboard the hype train. That trailer just... If if it's just that for two hours, that kind of stuff for two hours, I will be ecstatically happy. So will I. The the visuals are spot on. The characters are already engaging me. I'm already rooting for these kids. Yeah. And I already want to see Kylo Ren kick ass. And oh the music is already inside me. Oh my goodness. It's it, there's this point, and I, I actually um I was talking to a friend of mine about it, um, and I just, uh, I just said, um, the trailer is amazing, but there's this point, and it's, and again, something that instills my faith in how they know who, what characters they're dealing with. With Han Solo saying, um, you know, sorry, is that, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's all, all true. Uh, it's true. the light true. side, the, light the dark side, dark side uh, the Jedi, all of it. Uh, it shows that they've paid attention. They they've already given him an arc in the trailer. This is the guy who says no match for a you know a blaster at your side, kid. Yes. And smirks at the force. Now he's like, uh, yeah, I've seen some shit, kids. It's all real, and, and he's still <laughs> smirking. Mental. Yeah, like his personality is still the same. His opinions have changed. But he yeah. says this. He says this, and it's on the line. Um, uh, the Jedi, the dark side. It's all real, and then it's then the uh, the Falcon goes into hyperspace with a new sort of shot of seeing what it looks like to go into hyperspace outside yeah. of the cockpit, mm. uh, but into hyperspace, um, and then the music hits, and it's uh, like oh my god, and it's the start. It's like the second half of the Star Wars ma- march. Is there? Oh my god, and then the a- swings uh, mowing down Tie Fighters and. Wow! Uh, sorry, I was say the, the, the trailer. For, the trailer did nothing for me until that bit. Remember, oh, you know, it's like, I wasn't like I wasn't excited for Star Wars because I, you know, I was. But from all the trailers and stuff, it never really grabs me until that bit. Until it was the, you know, that theme. There's the Falcon. There's the X wings. There's. And then by the end of it, it's like, oh, I have goosebumps. Well played, guys. Yeah, they they yeah. definitely held they held their hand close, and they still are, which is a marvel in this day and age. Yes, uh, I love that the trailer tells you nothing. Doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. But I, for me, I was sold. I liked the opening shots of Ray dropping down into that Star Destroyer, but it is the who are you? Because mm. right, I knew I was going to be excited for Star Wars. Yeah. I knew I was going to be. I knew I was going to. Kylo Ren's going to kick ass with an awesome lightsaber, and we're going to see our favorite characters. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know exactly. You're still there? Sorry, we just got a call. Yeah. We did. Anyway, you're still there? Yeah, we're still here. Cool. Awesome. It was mm, that was weird. And, and I knew I was going to like seeing John Boyega kicking ass because he's brilliant. But the moment I saw the concept art for Phasma, yeah. right. I didn't like Game of Thrones, on on yeah. record of saying that. But, oh, I loved Gwendolyn Christie. Oh, she's amazing. And the moment I saw Phasma, I was like, tell me more. Why is she in chrome Stormtrooper armor? Why the cloak? Mm-hmm. What is she? 
what's her position in this? What's her role? Tell me more. And they haven't, but they've given me this tiny morsel of just this, this curious, distant voice. And I'm like, oh, I like you. I'm going to really like Phasma, I can tell. The thing is, though, Simon, if you if you did, I know you don't like Game of Thrones, but if you did watch Game of Thrones, I think Brianna Tarth probably would be your favourite character. Judging oh, no, she what. is. I watched two seasons. Oh, okay. And, and she absolutely is my favourite character. She is unbelievable. So I think if they are going that direction with Phasma, but uh, actually she's a, like a again loyal, incredibly loyal, um, honor guard, which she is in Game of Thrones as well, yep. oddly enough. Um, for Kylo Ren, and she looks like she's going to be so hardcore, she's going to kill the shit out of people, I can tell. <laughs> like, she is, like, forget no disintegrations, okay? <laughs> she is going to evaporate. Oh my goodness me. Right, what who is, is doing that, that and stop it? Jenna, are you calling? No, it... Yeah, Jenna's trying to add herself to the thing again. Well, that's not how you do it. <laughs> Don't call us. You're no. on the call. No, don't. Stop! Why is this happening again? I'll, I'll deal with it, guys. Hang on. Oh, but, goodness me. Yes, so <laughs> Jack has gone to deal What with does it, this mean? Quotes. I'll deal with this. That was a Vader line. <laughs> I shall see to it personally. But yeah, I, uh, I was so just, like I said, chills uh, throughout that trailer, to be honest. And so many other interesting things. We see Kylo Ren flanked by not only, um, you know, Captain Vasma, but also a collection of people who are wearing similar stuff to him. The Knights yes, of Ren. The Knights of Ren, yeah. What the hell? And they're, they're standing there and it's in the rain and his oh, and he's just got his lightsaber. It looks so cool. And this is the only thing we could just, the only thing we can talk about is the imagery because that's all we have. But yes, and, and what so imagery? Cool. Like, it's so much beyond anything I saw for the prequels. Yes, yes, we did. Well, I mean, the prequels visually were fine. You know, they they were... (laughs) Visually, I mean, a lot of the set design and stuff was good. You know, I like the look of Naboo. I I thought some of the stuff they did for Coruscant was really good. But this is so evocative. Like, they've chosen locations you feel like the original trilogy would have been filmed in. The sets are flawless. They are, as you say, the bridge of a Star Destroyer. They are the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. The X-Wings are recognizable, but they've changed. It's it's all so true to the universe that yeah. I'm, I'm just, ah, I'm itching for this film now. I was already, I thought I was as excited as I could be. I was wrong. I can be much more excited. I know. I've got my tickets booked. It broke the internet. I, I've but- got... <laughs> it's <laughs> my secret shame. I've got more than one set of tickets booked already <laughs> because we were booking a trip to see it, like a whole bunch of people together. Yeah, and we couldn't, you know, work out a date, and the cinema wasn't available right away. So we ended up booking it for I think the twenty first. Okay, which is only sort of three days after it opens. Mm-hmm. But then I watched the trailer again. Yeah, and I turned to Zoe and I was like, "I think we can get midnight showing opening day at the Westfield." 
Yeah. Do you want to go? And she's like, yeah. So <laughs> I've got midnight yeah. opening tickets Mid- and Dude. IMAX tickets for three days later. Not in the same location, <laughs> but I will be with, with you, man. I've got midnight <laughs> showing tickets as well, and I'm so fucking psyched. Um, the one other bit I think I'd like to talk about before we start talking about the trailer, because I think we talk about Star Wars every episode now. We, we do, but that's Sorry, it's guys. coming. It's coming, Sorry. guys. It's coming. Um, we're going to listen back to this, and uh, if Jack is right and it's shit, then we'll feel really fucking stupid. We have hours yeah, we of will. content of us being really excited about this. Um, but the, the last thing I wanted to say, I, I recently watched Empire again the other day, actually. Um, and what, I, what I've always loved about the lightsaber fights in the originals is that um, it's very much more about what's behind that fight rather than the fight itself, you know. Um, uh, and... I'm really excited about seeing John Boyega having to face off against Kylo Ren, who is clearly going to be better than him. Yes. Literally, John Boyega is going to be like, right, if someone gave one of us a lightsaber and then <laughs> was told, defend yourself, like, that's what's going to be. He's not going to have a clue what he's doing at all. He won't know. To the so point he's just that going to have to... You're, you're a, a big OG Star Wars fan, probably more so than me. I think that's fair to say. The scene in the trailer where you see Boyega snap the blade facing off against Kylo Ren. Yeah. Was I the only one who felt flashes back to Luke in the cave? Not at all. It's that same sense of uncertain terror, but standing his ground. And I'm like, that is so, that's Luke and Vader all over again. I love it. Exactly, and you see his expression, and it is like Luke's expression. Kylo Ren goes for a swing at him before it cuts out, and the look on his face, because they step to each other, and then it cuts out, but oh my god, he he is literally going to be haphazardly trying to defend himself, but with a lightsaber, and I'm like, this is so cool. Yeah, That's it's the way he's got his mouth slightly fight. open in sheer terror. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I think that's really interesting. I think that's so refreshing. This fight is going to mean something. We're, we're not going to be seeing, like, over-the-top, flashy, clearly choreographed fight here. We're going to see life and death, <laughs> like, in this. Like, if he fucks up, he's done. That that's another thing that really excited me about it, and the fact that it's again on that forest planet, which I'm still convinced is Endor. Yeah, Endor after a nuclear winter, after yeah. the the impact event of the Death Star, of course, crashing into it. That's what I thought the first time I saw it as well. Because mm-hmm. he's clearly going, he's clearly going there for. But then again, actually, would he be going there for Vader's helmet? We don't know when he'll get it, but he's clearly got it, so he must have been. Yep, you'd think so. Mm. So yeah, I'm. Oh, it it really feels from the trailer that it's it's what I said in the first place. I didn't trust JJ with Star Trek because he went on record as saying he's not a fan of Star Trek. Absolutely, I fair. did trust him with Star Wars because he's on the record as being an enormous fan of Star Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is a film clearly being made by a fan who wants to do justice to the thing he loves. Yeah. Whether he's pulled it off, we'll see, but so far it feels like he has. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, <laughs> and the really sad thing is I've started getting really excited about 8 as well because I know it's. Uh, I, I really like the director who's behind it. Yes. No, I mean, I'm on record as saying he's one of my favourite directors. Oh, he's so, top, What's his name again? It's, Ryan uh, Johnson. 
That's it, yeah. Behind Looper, wasn't he? He was. And yeah. some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad as well. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Say his name again. Ryan Johnson. He directed, oh, like, um, Ozymandias. Yes. Which is possibly one of the best episodes of uh, Breaking oh, Bad. Oh, my God. Yeah. And also um, 51, uh, Walt's Birthday. Yeah. Um, and also my favourite episode, Fly, the one where there's a fly in the meth lab. Dude, that's my favourite episode too. I didn't realise you'd watched that far into Breaking Bad. Oh, I've watched a lot. Oh, dude, I didn't realise. Do you like it? Yeah. Oh, uh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. Because um, I am I thought the story was amazing. The characters were fantastic. It deserves yeah. all the praise. It's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful show. Oh, it is. Um, but by the end of it, because I'm a fan of... The, the art of cinema, filmmaking. Yeah. Like, I was, in the last season, I was watching ordinary, quite dull scenes in, like, Schrader's office and just going, fuck, the lighting here is amazing. The yes. shots are so well set up. Holy yeah. shit, the attention to detail in this show is just phenomenal. It's just on point. It, it is literally like, if you want to make the best television possible... Everyone who's working on it is like a master of their craft. The people, like you say, the people that do that lighting, that lighting is incredibly important. It gives character to their locations. Obviously, really warm, depthful colors when they're in New Mexico, different kind of filters for when it's flashback and things. It's just basic filmmaking, but it's just done well. It's a masterpiece. um, It it just literally is. We should do a show on it. Oh, yes. Yes, we should do a show on it. My goodness me. What? On Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, man. I've not seen it. Oh, you need to. I have have every intention to see it. I have just, yes, to see it. I don't know how we haven't stumbled across this already, Simon. (laughs) It took me a little while before it really got its hooks into me. Like the first season, two seasons, Mm. I was enjoying. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, this is good TV. But it was mid-season three when I started marathoning it and was watching it five or six episodes at a time <laughs> and just yeah. binging. I know what you mean. And, I mean, the last... It actually got to the point where the last few episodes, I was looking at my watch and looking yeah. at the running time of the episodes that were left. Yes. <laughs> and yes. I knew that the last three were basically back-to-back. Yeah. And it finishes with essentially a three-part narrative. Yes, it does. And I was just going... If I start the next episode, I'm committed to watching for the next three hours. Three hours, easily, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I've got to go to bed now, or I'm up until three in the morning. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I just wouldn't break the last three episodes apart, and I sat down and watched them all in run, one run the next day. And I did exactly the same. I did such exactly a good show. It is. Um, it, a, a Monday masterpiece. I've not seen any of uh, Better Call Saul, though. I have, um, but I haven't seen all of it, and that tells you everything. Okay. Fair. It's it's okay, but it didn't grip me in the same way. Absolutely. Well, you don't... I mean, don't get me wrong. Saul is a great character, but he's a great character because he's part of an ensemble of awesome... An awesome show, you know? Um, I, I didn't think he'd be the one to carry... I, I didn't think they'd do a spin-off. Like, I thought, well, why... Just leave it alone. Yeah, I they I feel like they should have. Yeah, but uh, Breaking Bad in itself is just amazing. And my favorite bit of trivia about it is the fact that Jesse was never meant to be a continuing character. No, they were going to kill him. They were going to kill him. Off. <laughs> Horribly kill him in a in a uh, scrapyard. 
But then he was just so popular with the fans and the chemistry between him and um, Brian Cranston yeah. was just so powerful that they were like, we can't kill Jesse. He, he's too good. And he just stuck around for the whole show. Okay, we're going to do an episode on that. Yes, yes, we are. Because I'm, I'm about to just reel off into how good so RJ is. And, <laughs> so yeah, is but I, yeah, we I need to do an point. episode on it. Excellent, done. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I heard rumours recently of a season six, but I think they were a hoax. Well, how could they? Uh, well, I suppose they could carry on, but I'd be like, why? Yeah, it is a hoax. Good, good. Yeah. Because I don't want them to. Sorry? I don't want them to do it. Because that ending, which I'm not going to detail because Irish hasn't watched it, but I don't want them to continue from there. No, it ends perfectly. Um, I think some people got confused actually because with the um, with the break, because they broke the last season in two, some people consider the other half to be season six. Yes. Whereas I'm very much of the the opinion of that season five was just long. It's exactly the same thing that happened to Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar oh, really? Galacta, uh, Galactica either ends with season five or the second half of season four, depending on who you ask, because they, oh, had, a, <laughs> they had a break for the writer's strike. Uh, oh, oh, fucking hell, writer's strike. <sighs> Admittedly, they deserve a strike, but still, yes. it sucks. It I, sucks I support for TV what they were doing, happens. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't support what it did to Battlestar Galactica. I like the ending, to get around there to were that. changes. We should do a Battlestar episode, because I've only ever watched two episodes. You probably need to see a bit more before we do an episode on it. Well, I could be the fish out of water like Jack with um, Doctor Who. True, true. But then again, to be fair, I, is it worth me watching to have it at the experience like, and not have it spoiled? Um, like, right. is, it, is it that kind of show? I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I have a very different view on spoilers to most people. I don't mind them. Um, it, depending on the type of media, to be honest. There are, there are stuff I will actively avoid, but not that much. Mm. For example, like I say, for Star Wars, I'm going out, I'm, I'm digesting things that I can find. Um, I, th- I think you could enjoy Battlestar perfectly well with it, with having parts of it spoiled. There are probably little bits and pieces we'd have to avoid, especially about the ending. Yeah, um, um, but yeah, don't, well, yeah, don't jump straight to the ending. <laughs> I mean, in general, I think uh, the meat of the show survives yeah. being spoiled. I think. Oh, okay, there's like, uh, I mean, one of the big reveals is sort of who the Cylons are because, you know, some of them are amongst the cast and have been yeah. since day one. And and that, I, I don't know if it would change the way you read the characters or make you appreciate parts of it even more. Mm. Like there, there's one of the actors who portrayed a character who was later revealed to be a Cylon, like got really defensive when he was told you're going to be a Cylon. Because he was like, that doesn't fit with my character at all. You know, you look at the, the stuff he's done and the stuff he's said and his motivation, it, it doesn't yeah. work. And they said, no, no, that's that's precisely why it does. And they talked him round, and by the end of it, it was like, yes, fucking yes, I'm a Cylon. <laughs> but oh, yeah, I would be, I'd be super stoked to be a Cylon. Yeah, in this case, it it was just because of the specific stuff his character does about oh, Cylons okay. early on in the show, and um, and he he felt it was sort of betraying the character. But yeah. they they talked him round to why they were doing it. <laughs> Hmm. Wow, okay, so we got some TV talk ahead. I think so. 
I like those two are probably my two favorite TV shows made. Um, I want to say this millennium because I think Battlestar was post millennium. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was 2004, so it was all post millennium. Yeah. So I think they're they're my favorite 21st century TV shows. Excellent. I think Jack had something to say about Battlestar as well. Probably. I uh, we he... we would disagree wildly on parts of it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> agree strongly on parts of it. He's a fan of most of it, but there are parts of it he really hates. Yeah, and and that's fair. I mean, the ending is hugely divisive. Oh, okay. A lot of people really hate how it ended. I love how it ended. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah, like with TV endings, like you can never please everyone. Like, like let me try and think of one that no one will care about. <laughs> so the ending to Lost. <laughs> for example did that please um, anyone it didn't please anyone at all no I don't think so you can't please everyone but you can disappoint everyone yeah yeah. I, I guess that's what I was trying to say thank you Simon <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to throw Lost into the mix because that's <laughs> one I did stick with to the end um, oh my god I deserved everything I got Lost was why I didn't watch Breaking Bad for so long oh really why because the way everyone was talking about Breaking Bad was the same kind of phenomena reaction that everyone had about Lost. And knowing oh, how badly that ended for everyone, I was like, well, <laughs> at this point, Breaking Bad can't have that long to run. Because the time I started getting curious about it was sort of in the fourth season. Yeah. I was like, if fair. I start watching now and it ends as badly as Lost, I'll be really pissed off. You see, If I wait a year <laughs> or two, then everyone will tell me if the ending was worth it. And so I waited until everyone told me, no, no, it sticks the landing. It's a perfect finish. And I was like, okay, marathon it is. Okay, well, this is this is interesting. I guess in a way then, because uh, I don't think you've seen a lot of Lost then, Simon. No, nope, almost not. Right. Well, speaking as a victim, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because you say that by, by the fourth season, you know you got sort of convinced, right? Let me tell you, by the fourth, of, the fourth season of Lost... It had already occurred to us early on, maybe not in the first season and maybe not in the second season because it's kind of cohesive where it's going. Admittedly, there's lots of mystery elements, but the plot is kind of, you know, heading somewhere. And that's why I still maintain that the two, the first two seasons of Lost are actually really good. You then keep going and you're like, what if they're just making this up? <laughs> and then you keep going and you're like, you know... They really could just be making this up. And then you keep going some more, and then like you're on the penultimate episode, and you're like, you've just finished watching the second to last episode, and you're like, wow. Okay, so they have about an hour to explain about 75% of the mysteries. No, more actually, like 80% of the mysteries. No, 90% of the mysteries <laughs> of Lost in the final episode. <laughs> There's that much to cover, and we're sat there like, maybe they just made this up. And then there's a sudden realization that when you put on the last episode, they just made it up <laughs> as they went along. <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding me? And they don't explain anything, and it's like, oh my goodness me. It is exactly the opposite to Breaking Bad. Um, so well done for choosing the right one, Simon. I'm, I'm glad of that. Yeah. Although speaking of sticking the landing and a good finish. Yes. Life is strange. The final part came out recently. 
Right. Okay. I have not. I've only played the first bit. I think. So I'm not going to tell you what happens. Okay. <laughs> but I will say that it was one I got really invested. Again, I started quite late. I started, uh, I think, when the fourth episode came out. So I sort of binge played them. No, shortly before the fourth one. Okay. So I played the first three back to back and the fourth one very shortly thereafter. Yeah. And I was super invested in this, but I had this horrible feeling it was all going to go wrong. And there's a lot of people who would tell me it did all go wrong. I, on the other hand, loved the way they finished it off. Have we spoken about Life is Strange before? We have, haven't we? I I think we've mentioned it. Have we mentioned what it is? In case we haven't, a quick recap. It's a five-part episodic, uh, not quite point-and-click adventure, but the modern sort of adventure in the Telltale Games kind of tradition Mm. uh, about a girl called Max Caulfield, who is a teenage girl who in the first episode... Uh, spontaneously realizes she has the power to rewind time as she saves someone. She doesn't know it at the time, but it turns out to be actually one of her closest friends in her earlier childhood from being shot. And it spins off from there, really. What do you do when you realize you've got a superpower? Hmm. Okay, I thought Life is Strange was something else. (laughs) Because I did not recognise that one bit. I was like, yeah, let's talk about Life is Strange. And you started, and I was like, okay, I don't know what I've been playing. Well, what have you been playing? You play a square. That's a different game. That's it. Thomas was alone. Thomas Thomas was alone is not episodic. (laughs) I thought it was. I thought that's a bit odd. Well, I know there are different characters. So I thought, oh, well, maybe you spin off and become the big the big square for a bit no no thomas was alone it's a standalone <laughs> game it's very good but it's very different oh fucking hell <laughs> what's wrong with me <laughs> my first thomas guess is, alone is very lot. good as well <laughs> thomas was alone is great um and thomas was alone thomas was alone yes uh and very interesting in that right thomas was alone is by mike bithel um who made Thomas Was Alone, which, as you say, is a game in which you play a square. Mm. Like it's, it's really good, but it's, it's simple. It's the kind of game that you feel like a, a, a lone developer could do as a sort of garage project. Yeah. Um, and then he went on to make Volume, uh, which I think was his immediate next game. Which is really interesting because volume is very different. Uh, I'm just looking for confirmation that that was Mike Bithell. Um, mm. Yes, it was. So his his next game was Volume, which is a full 3D rendered narrative stealth game um, featuring the voice of uh, Andy Serkis. Right. Oh yeah. Which is uh, it's quite a jump. I think I've heard this. Yeah. I, I remember when it was first announced that Andy Serkis was doing a voice for it, and everyone, well, not everyone, but I swear a lot of people thought, oh, oh, it's a funny joke. He's found a voice actor who has the same name as Andy Serkis. And yeah, hired yeah. Him. No, it was the real Andy Serkis, and we were all just sitting there going, how the fuck did that happen? <laughs> wow. But it's really wow. good. Um, it has some narrative holes, but it's, it's very good. Uh, I, I recommend volume. That's cool. Um... That's Andy Serkis basically has conquered 
so many different realms. Not only is he like a pioneer and obviously mocap and things like that, but you know, he showed up in video games and stuff. He's also gonna is gonna is critical characters in the Marvel universe, the Lord of the Rings universe, and shortly the Star Wars universe. That man. Who'd have thought it? I remember a quote actually from him about why he's turning up, you know, in in all these big franchises. Yeah, as, as saying, you know, when he was done with Lord of the Rings, he's like, "Well, that that was my living for twelve years," and I was like, "Fuck, gotta find another franchise." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's very good. He and is that's very why good. We need to do an episode as well very soon. We're making up episodes as we go. I would like us to do an episode where Simon, you watch the new. Planet of the Apes films. Oh, interesting. Because, yeah, yeah, so far I have avoided them. And uh, I've watched the first one, but not uh, the second one. I, I think they're both actually really good. Um, I, liked they, the first, I liked the Dawn. Yeah. I've not consciously avoided them. No, I know. Just, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the original franchise. Of course. Oh, I really oh. like the classic Apes films. Of course. And whatever you say about the new ones, they are different. They are. They, they are, yeah. They're so very different. There's been a sort of background radiation uncertainty, as it were, when if there was something else to watch, I would watch something else, because if I start down that road, who knows where it's going to lead. Um, but they are on my list as films I probably should watch at some point. I think you'd like them. Uh, the only reason why I bring it up is because... I believe it was quite recently they've they've said what the title of the next one's going to be. Okay, and it's going to be because we've had Rise, Rise of, of the Apes, and Dawn of the... Dawn of there. This one is going to be called War of the Planet of the Apes. Okay, and where the second one left, leaves off, it's like oh okay, fuck, um, and it's yeah, it's I actually think they're really they're quite strong actually those films. I only thought of them because we were discussing Andy Serkis and being in franchises and stuff. But um, mm. yeah, man, you should give him a watch. And one thing he's doing, actually, that I'm kind of interested in is uh, under Imaginarium Studios, which yeah. is one he founded. Yes. Uh, he's doing a mocap driven animal farm. <gasps> huh. As in Orwell? Animal yes. Farm. As oh, in Orwell's wow. Animal Farm. That's so cool. I'm really looking forward to that. Do you mean he's doing all the parts himself? Uh, probably <laughs> not. <laughs> a one-man uh, mocap show of Andy that would be amazing, doing but... all of them. It's basically like the next step that, you know, um, um, uh, what's his name? Eddie Murphy. <laughs> like, he's the next Eddie Murphy. Actually, <laughs> he's going to be all know. the characters. I don't know if he's going to play any of them. Oh, he's directing cool. it. Excellent. Because, I mean, he's shown an interest in directing, you know, a long time now. He was second director on the Hobbit film. Yeah, second unit, wasn't he? Because he wanted to direct. And now he's directing Jungle Book Origins. And, um, and as I say, he's picked up Animal Farm, which he wants to direct. So I, I think he might be at the point where it's like, okay, mocap is now essentially my invention. Because it was so in its infancy when he started. Yeah, and he has really set the standard for how that is done. Oh yeah, as I said before, he is a pioneer. So I think he's moved into that part of bringing other people into that business. If he's directing, he can he can give his cast 
his guide on how to do mocap performance and you know create the sort of circus school of motion performance yeah he is the Luke Skywalker of the mocap business. <laughs> Essentially, he is passing yes. on what he has learned. There is another circus. Is there? Probably. He I mean, I assume he has some fun for that game. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I've got a bite. I've got a bite. Jungle Book Origins. Uh. <laughs> It's um, it's the other Jungle Book. Uh, it's the film. one we discussed. Yeah, the other Jungle Book film. That's really confusing. Surely there's like a war going on between those two films. It's the one with Christian Bale and Benedict Cumberbatch and Kate Blanchett and yeah, it's, it's the it's the other the Jungle right Book mix. film. I don't know if they're the right mix. I think they got it right with the other one. I I agree. I think the Walker, cast for the other one. You can't beat. Idris Elba as Shere Khan, and you can't beat Christopher Walken as King Louis. Benedict Cumberbatch cannot beat Idris Elba as Shere Khan. Oh, is it is Benedict Cumberbatch Shere Khan? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, and Andy Circus, right? Love Andy Circus, love yeah. his work, but when it's between him and Bill Murray, <laughs> I know who <laughs> I'm going to choose exactly. to play Baloo. In fact, why do we even waste time? We should have just said Bill Murray, end yep. of the war. That's it. That was the best. <laughs> Bill Murray is the, the most incredible person. He's incredible. I said that twice. You did. He's so incredible, I had to say it twice. You said it three times now. Yeah, actually, three times. <laughs> so I covered wow. Life is Strange. There was another thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> this is a chaotic I, episode. It is. It's a little bit of bits and pieces of everything have happened. Everything. Jack's not here and... Technology is going awry, so yeah, it's just, it's the end of the world. It's you're lucky you're getting anything, audience. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> you wait, audience. <laughs> Do we have an audience? I keep being told we don't. That's true, we don't. But um, <laughs> yes, uh, one thing in light of actually our recent talks about the world of darkness, I did want to briefly mention on the show. Oh yes, why? Oh my god, yes. And I won't go on about it at length, because I think we're coming to the end of our productive time on this episode. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Paradox Interactive, a video game publisher who are responsible for Crusader Kings, Europa Universalis, and working with Obsidian on like Pillars of Eternity, recently bought White Wolf Publishing, the creators of The World of Darkness, from CCP, the EVE developers. Because yeah. CCP were developing an MMO, which we've talked about on this episode. Uh, or not on this episode, but on this show. Yeah. Uh, and the MMO was cancelled. And so CCP were sitting there, owning White Wolf, not doing anything with it. And seeing as they're an MMO developer, probably not going to do anything with it. Mm. So they sold it to fellow Scandinavian development, uh, developers, Paradox, who were like, we'll just give you cash. Because we want, yeah. we want White Wolf, yeah. and now there's a lot of people at Obsidian who worked on Masquerade Bloodlines, and oh, now they own God. the IP. Oh my God! So I think we might be seeing new vampire games. And you, you said that there, that's heavily connected to Obsidian. Yes, because that is super important. Because as anyone would tell you, Obsidian's strength by far. It's picking up an already established like game franchise or whatever, Knights of the Old Republic, Fallout, and just knocking out the park with it. 
Seriously, they are that good at doing that kind of thing. And it's for them that a lot of the original Troika Games guys who worked on Vampire Bloodlines work. Yeah. So I'm okay with this. Mm. You know, the guys who did Fallout New Vegas, the guys who did the best KOTOR game. Are in Vampire? Yeah. Yes, please. Yes, I agree. And more well, see, to the it's point... Not ju- it's not just Vampire, though, will it? It's the World of Darkness, so... Well, that's true, but, I mean, of the World of Darkness, the property oh, yeah, you're going to leverage yeah. first is Vampire. Oh, by far, yeah. Well, I'd love to see an Exalted game. Whoa. Whoa. Um, but more to the point, the thing that gets me, Vampire, uh, the, the lore and the mythology of the Masquerade was about power plays and manipulation and politics over generations. Hmm. Paradox are the guys who do Crusader Kings. <gasps> wow, yes. They do lineage-based strategy. Holy Christ. Yeah, I want to see that happen. That's amazing. I want to see a Camarilla game where you're <laughs> vying for political power throughout the world as a vampire in the background for centuries. That's incredible. Holy fuck. Yeah, there's a reason I'm excited about this development. <laughs> but they could do all sorts of different types of games with that now they own it. I mean... They really could. They could do, like, for really? example, an iPad release of the Vampire the Eternal Struggle card game. If you're listening, Paradox, please do that. Please fucking do that. I miss the <laughs> Eternal Struggle. That used to be great. Oh, man. My cat is about to get heavily involved in this podcast. Oh, really? If, if he's noisy. Hello. He's, he's on my desk. He is less than a oh. foot from the microphone, but being quite quiet. So we'll hope that continues. <laughs> <laughs> they like to interfere, but it... Uh... Ah, he's leaving, good. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we await with interest to see what comes of this. But, mm-hmm. yeah, a company who are likely to actually do something with the IP now own White Wolf. Oh, my God. Right, okay. Uh, next episode, we're going to dedicate a section... Um, we'll do a bit more mutant wish listing on because I think I think this is a cool thing to mutant wish list. We should do a little bit of that on White Wolf, but we should also do that on Star Trek in case um, what we said before doesn't show up <laughs> in the <laughs> chaos that was the beginning of this episode. Yeah, maybe we should. I think that's a good idea. Awesome. And also, right? I, I think next episode, let's be honest with ourselves here. I think we pretty much know what we're going to be talking about next I, episode. I already know what we're going to be talking about next episode. I don't know what we're going to be talking about next episode. Fallout oh. 4 will have been out for a week. Yes. Is it that close? It's, it's next, next Tuesday, dude. Shit, it's, it's November, I forgot. Holy fuck. Week, week tomorrow, dude. Oh my god. Well, I've put no, a week it. tonight. I'll do it. <laughs> so if, if, if we can pull ourselves away from the game, I suspect we'll be talking about it. Uh, I think we owe it to this being a video game podcast. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think so. Well, I know, think perhaps, it's time. Perhaps, perhaps I think we, it's time. So we don't try to, you know, so, so we don't try to spoil too much for the listeners and for ourselves. That's we might true. End up we'll doing probably, different things. Yeah, we'll mm. encounter different things. Um, perhaps we should just do the the Bethesda catch up and do talk about. Our Skyrim stories and our New Vegas and Fallout 3 stories. Not a bad idea, although I think 
some Fallout 4 conversation will probably slip oh, yeah. into the mix. I'm not, I'm, not saying it's not going, <laughs> I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But... <laughs> but we shall talk about all things Bethesda that have not previously been talked about. So that's our teaser. Yes. <laughs> so cool. until, until next time, I think we're done for the night. I think so. We've got a show together. (laughs) Oh, well, in that case, right. No. Let's have some more conversation about the Star Wars trailer. I literally am going to (laughs) run. So until next time, you have been listening to World 1 Stage 1. I have been Simon. I have been Irish. And I've been holding it in. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Bye. still up. Is that true, or is that my computer lying to me? Hello? Hey, man! That sounds better. Oh, man, that's so crisp! That is, that's crisp, luxurious tones. (laughs) Now we've lost Irish! We'll get him back. Oh, you're there. I'm here. No, I meant, never mind. Who, who did you mean? Who's I, there? I don't even Who's know. there? <laughs> Who's there, damn it? Who goes there? Who goes there? Furious typing. Man, man, <laughs> the is so, is so, it's so, it's so, it's so, internet, internet hardware. Wow, you, you are echoing. Now I'm, now I'm echoing. Kate, Kate, Kate. Hey, hey, let me do, like, like, going Oh, I, oh, I, yes, yes. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> end that, end that, please, please. please. No, 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 what are you no, doing? Conversation. Why aren't you doing red button, red button? One, one, I'm one, scared one, and confused one, right one. now, guys. Not that one, the other. Aqueous fuck. You yeah, ended and, and that's you ended the worse. wrong one. You ended. Where's the, all the conversation? <laughs> I away Why am I? You just hung up on the wrong what's one. What's going on? You're in <laughs> that one. What? No. They don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is really spooky. Right. Rob isn't right. in this call. Welcome to a whole new world of technical problems for World War Stage 1. Now it's just you and me, Jenna. Hello! And you're muted. Uh, hi, I'm Simon, and I'm on my own. Right, pressing on. I'm still here!
<laughs> I know, but you were muted, so you weren't joining into the conversation. <laughs> Sorry, I had to mute it because I, I know. hide. Oh, it's just us now. I'm just it is just here. us. <laughs> what is happening? I'm I'm going to try and add your husband back to the call. <laughs> what the fuck? I can stop hearing him. <laughs> Am I hearing wrong? This Why is the Halloween. You, oh my god! Not even right. We're gonna sign out of Skype. <laughs> okay. What the fuck? <laughs> Turn your voice up. I like that as a general phrase. <laughs> what's What's really interesting is Rob is not on this Skype call. Say hi, Rob. Hello. Where's Rob? Simon? There we go. That, that was that conversation there. <laughs> Jesus Christ, guys. What the fuck? I myself. Why don't we... Right, we should sign out. I don't think Welcome to Halloween, the ghost in the machine. This is all staying in now, because this is insane. So right now, I'm in a call with Jenna and Jack. Rob, are you Hi. still there? Ah, Rob may have gone, finally. <laughs> but for ages, yeah. Rob has been talking whilst not on this call. I don't... What? Okay. Who are you talking to? <laughs> Bye, Jenna. Now it's just you and me, Irish. I, I hope. Up. It didn't hang me up. No, I can still hear Jenna. Hello. <laughs> What's going on? Hello. Sign out completely. Right, it must be you guys because we've. Just... All right, Rob's back, but I'm not in a call with him. <laughs> right. How are you doing this, you. Rob? Techno science. I'm gonna tell my computer. You're right back. Okay. <laughs> this is terrifying. Okay, I am now entirely on my own. There is no Skype, so you shouldn't be hearing anyone else. Um, I have to admit, this is a new level of technical issues for World One Stage One. I've never had it go this wrong before. Uh, I terrifyingly professional that's what we are now i'm gonna try again uh let's see yes irish is still online let's give him a call and see what happens nothing right <laughs> i think he's rebooting uh let's see if i can honestly jack you go to japan and you leave us like this this is what happens this is what happens Apparently, Jack is our lucky talisman. No, don't call me. Uh. <laughs> Hello. Sorry. Are you there? Yes. Okay, I'm actually in a Skype call with you this time, so it's not terrifying anymore. I love that. That was amazing. <laughs> and then you just, you just hear excitement saying, no, don't call me. <laughs> sort of panicked, like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Right, I can't add people to this call, which is interesting. Can <laughs> right. you? I think it's probably oh, well, best. I've got a call coming from someone else right now. <laughs> right, don't, don't answer. Don't answer. <laughs> don't answer. I'll hang up on You're not in. <laughs> which one, should, Simon, you know what's best. Tell us what to do. I don't know. <laughs> do we stay on this line and you invite Irish? That's I can't add people to this call. It's not an option. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Can you record from this one? Uh, Yeah, it's recording now. Oh, my God. Right, okay, just call. Just get Irish here. Someone invite Irish. 
I, you'll have to do it. I can't add people to Alex, the call. please, just, in, just invite him. Hey, just. Oh my god. Where do we, how do we add? Now add I've got a text chat with Jenna going, can you invite me please? And I've answered, yeah. no, I actually can't. It's, it's all going that. wrong. It just says send file, send contact, share screen, show dial pad. <laughs> right, Simon, Fuck you're it, now I'll call you back. <laughs> Oh my god! What is going on? Okay. Let's try something different. What if I press call on this one? Ah, it's ringing for lots of people. Let's see what happens. Hello? Hello? Hello! Someone I think it. we have our bumper. Jesus <laughs> fucking Christ, do we? <laughs> That was incredible. I want the bit. I want it to begin with you simply saying, "No, don't call me." <laughs> that, that was, that was so the point funny. where it all went wrong. Well, no, actually, it was all gone very wrong before that. No, what's happening? Why is there a transformer and not Irish? Why is what? Where is he now? We're now still in the bumper, people. As I was saying, so foggy, it's affected the internet. All the bees are distracted. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, he's gone. Who's gone? Irish, Irish. is gone. He it's is. Dialing. It's dialing Jen. He fell Jen. away into the darkness. Cool, oh, man. no. Jen's gone as well. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. <laughs> but it's like a like wave. We're going to go next. Call. They might re return their router or something. Give me a sec. <laughs> this is this is this is our Halloween episode. It is. This is the spooky spectacular of trying to call people <laughs> on Skype. Oh. <laughs> the most horrifying human endeavor that exists. <laughs> Although I that you cannot deny that I mean I was hearing my own voice echoing like people were laughing screaming. Oh my god. I'm not god. saying it wasn't Amazing at points, but there were it also points mayhem. where it was very dull. Are you there? Are you there? Yeah. Jack, are you there? Am I here? You're here! Okay. I'm also we... here. Oh, thank fuck. It's right. finally worked. Okay. 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 Right. That was horrible. Okay. 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 We're all good. <laughs>